0: Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. Alright, well welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. This week we're doing a discussion, um, a group discussion. We're joined by Paul and Jenny Albar, some of our OG Righteous Remnant crew right here. The the righteous of righteous, the most righteous.
1: Introduce (laughs) me the right way, Dennis, or I will leave this podcast right now. The OG of righteousness. Come on now,
0: Paul Albar. (laughs) Paul, it's been a while since we've done a podcast episode together, huh?
1: I know, man. I'm sorry, dude. I've totally been, you know, ghosting you as the kids would say these days. I know. I'm. I'll probably will lose rewards for that. But I'm glad (laughs) we're doing this now. We're gonna make up for it. Um, Sure. We're doing like it's a four-hour podcast, something like that. I don't know how long your podcast go. Oh, why were we blurry? What happened? There we go.
0: Four hours. Yeah, let's yeah. shoot for it. Um, let's do it. But I'm glad to be back. Good man. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. I, I I miss I miss our conversations for sure, man. Um, and we're also joined by my wife Hannah.
2: Oh, you didn't introduce January. Hello. Wow.
3: I said, I said Paul
0: and Jenny Albar. <laughs>
4: my bad. Hello.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, today our topic of discussion is eternal rewards. And this is something that Paul and I have chatted about, you know, um, at least a couple times before on this podcast. But we decided it's been a while. Let's do a full episode. Let's talk about it. Let's bring our wives into it. And um, we just thought we'll have a kind of a free-flowing conversation here. So why don't you guys start off? um, Why are you guys interested in this topic in the first place?
1: Great question. Um, it's in Scripture. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, Jesus talks about it um, a lot. Scripture talks about it a lot. We've talked about it ad nauseum. I mean, I feel like everybody that we talk to knows that we always love talking about this topic. And it's precisely it's because Jesus talked about it, right? The Apostle Paul talked about it, and that there is a future where we will be judged for our works. And... Um, a lot of people at church when they hear this, this is foreign to them. This is something that they're not excited about. And sometimes they even kind of like hiss at us. Don't be saying that stuff around us, you know, (laughs) works earning works. That's wrong. Like, no. So we want to take this time to kind of unpack all of that, clarify that and, and, you know, really kind of look at it from a biblical view that it's good. It's good to want rewards because Jesus talked about it and that, um, um, earning or meriting um, stuff is biblical so yeah
0: yeah that's good I mean there's there's a lot there that I want to dig into um, with you in a second here I do want to hear a little bit about I know that this is kind of a topic that has more recently become really interesting for the both of you why don't you share a little bit of that story with us yeah you want do, to start? Where do we even start? I know, Dennis. Where do we start, Goddess uh, man? Come on. Well, you guys were um, telling me that you guys did a Bible study, and oh, yeah, you yeah, started yeah. doing a book study, and that kind of led into some serious convictions for you guys. So why don't you go into it? Okay, I'll, I'll pass this to Jenny. She's she's great at telling stories.
4: <laughs> I'm not, but I will share. <laughs> um, so we have a group of friends, and we started. Well, we started a year ago doing a Bible study on the Book of John. And the beginning of the year, we thought, for some reason, I think it was just on some of our hearts, um, the question was coming up of how do we use our money as Christians? And then how do we, I think there were some newlyweds too in our group of friends, so we were discussing that, like budgeting, I, I guess they were newly budgeting, and it was just a topic of conversation. And then um, there was a book uh, by Randy Alcorn, which I feel like we're going to do a lot of plugins for, um, Ooh, called I money. like him. Yeah, but it's literally called Money, Possessions, and Eternity.
1: We get, we get royalties in heaven for <laughs> plugging that in too. So, um,
4: so the, even the title of the book, I'm like rolling my eyes, you know, mm. and um, only because I was very lukewarm <laughs> to it. <laughs> okay, anyway, so um, we all agreed, let's do a book study on this. And it's a very thick book. Um, but we all agreed to do that, um, like a six-week book study on this. Um, I think the first or second meeting um, of going through maybe the first four about first four chapters, a lot of us, we were um, even questioning our salvation. It got to that point. And so um, I'll just to fast forward or just to, I guess, speed up kind of w- what happened in those two maybe the two, first two sessions was um we're even discussing uh money as an idol um um you know the rich young ruler and and just resonating with the rich young fool um and then questioning our salvation um and we're talking about um is 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 Jesus even lord in our lives um and then Um, because it's, it's about, the book is about eternity. It talks about, it emphasizes rewards. It emphasizes, um, living for eternity. And so we're just unpacking, there's so much to unpack there, but we're, we were unpacking all of that. And I think, um, it's been life changing for a lot of us. And when I say life changing, I mean, um, how we view money, right? We're not thinking about, um, um, it's we were we, we we keep saying it's a paradigm shift because um it's if if everything belongs to God, then um the question is God, how much can we keep right? not how much can we give because everything belongs to God. So we're thinking through all of that um I don't know what else to share there,
3: but there's so well, much l-
0: let me ask some follow-up questions. So when you say like, uh, we were even questioning our salvation. Like, take me about through that a little bit. Like, why would you question your salvation? I mean, Jenny, you were you were on BTM court. I was a fraud. That I'm was like the you were the elite of elite Christians.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> um, I'll share and you share. Sure. Um, I think the reason why I was questioning my salvation was we got to a chapter in the book where it talked about the rich young fool, or the ruler. And um, I think, I mean, we all know the story, but what resonated with us was um, we were putting ourselves in his shoes. And I think when we were, it was really an examination of our hearts, right? Um, Of, I grew up a Christian, grew up going to church, um, serving, um, but can we, if, if we were faced with um, I guess, for just personally speaking, if if God said, don't buy that house, or um, if it wasn't in God's will to even have a child, right? Um, or even pursue uh, a business venture that we've been discussing. Would we walk away sad mm-hmm. if, if we were faced with that? And then um, I, I think we were all... Uh, we were all um i guess everyone in that study we were asking ourselves that in 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 the context of our individual or our own personal lives and i confessed and said yeah i would actually walk away sad mm-hmm. because not that all of those things i listed were necessarily bad but mm-hmm. but even admitting that i would walk away sad just revealed to myself it, it was revealed that um, that those were my idols, right? That I was really idolizing that, and then the fact that I quickly said, "Hey, I would walk away sad," it then led me to thinking, "Well, is Jesus even Lord over my life, right? Does every does does everything truly belong to God?" Then, and the answer was no, and then if the answer is no, well am i am I really following Jesus right? Am I really saved um because if I am, then I should be living as if everything belongs to god right um and 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 I don't think yes, you know, I served, and yes, I went to church, but um I don't think I was really discipled in that area mm-hmm. um because it was it was news to me right um and so. So every time I think in the first 4 years of our marriage Paul would say, "Oh, let's give and let's do this and let's give up everything. Forget that desire." You know, and I'm I'm just like running away from Paul, right? Because I'm realizing um that no, I want that house. No, I want that child. No, I want that type of job. No, I want this and that, right? I I want to make this without saying it, but I want to make this earth my home. Yeah. Um and then I think being faced with all of that, it really got me questioning, God, am I saved, right? Am I really understanding the cost of following you? Um, so I think that yeah, that's my reasoning for that, right? Of, of asking that through that examination.
2: Did you ever struggle with this before? Or do you feel like this book really provoked something different?
4: So I never struggled with it before because, um, I think that before getting married to Paul, it was always, um, when you go to church, tithing, the 10% was the ceiling, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing beyond anything beyond that was a rare, generous offering, Mm -hmm. right? So it was easy to have a tight grip on um dreams, desires, money, possessions because no one in my life was actually mm. exposing that idol. And 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 I think we keep talking about it Paul and I and even our group of friends that um that money is very is so deceiving mm. because um we we view it i think in this um i can i guess i'll just speak for myself but i view it i used to view it as um it's not bad right like it's not bad i'm not you know doing anything bad with it I'm i'm not being sinful with it right i'm not committing i thought i wasn't committing any sin right but i was actually committing the ultimate sin which is I was treating it like an idol like i was actually a slave to it because if if things were taken away from my life i then realized wow god you're not this isn't pleasing to you because i'm not actually living under your lordship right like i'm not because i would really walk away sad from a lot of these things um yeah
1: well just to kind of uh paint a fuller picture here on how we were so divided in this Um, if Uh I would, I would say things like, uh, I I don't know if I want to pursue that particular position. Um, Jenny would kind of imply, well, you're just lazy. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Yeah. You
1: just don't want to struggle in life. You don't just, you you know, you know, or I would say like, you know, you don't
4: have any grit. (laughs) Right. right.
1: (laughs) So my manhood was taken away. I was, I was emotionally (laughs) castrated. So, um, there was that. And then, um, yeah, so then we read this book, and then other things came out too. Because this book is a, it's a comprehensive study on money, right? I mean, Randy Alcorn is a theologian, and um, he, he he talks about materialism, he talks about sadatism, he talks about all these things, like how much you should save. So I highly recommend for people to to read this book and just get gut punched. You know, fifty ways to Sunday. It's 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 terrible for your for your lukewarmness, but great for your soul. So we read this book, and we go to this part where we kind of personalize the rich young ruler story okay so the rich young ruler story is jesus said okay if you want to be perfect sell everything and then follow me rich young ruler went away sad so we hear that but then we don't really apply that to our lives well jesus is not asking us to sell everything so we're good but we're not realizing that there's certain things in our hearts that we're not letting jesus touch Right? One of those are our plans for the future. Right, One of those are our savings account. One of those could be where you live. So what if Jesus were to tell you, don't buy that house and be content with living in a two-bedroom apartment? Would you be sad? So we've really kind of contextualized that into um, each of our lives. There's about, there's like three couples in this uh, small group. There's like 10 of us sometimes that joins And we're just like wow like that that hits that that really hits home like we would probably walk away sad and so we had to do a lot of repentance and really calling out to god and say lord um i'm sorry right um and then jenny would say things like yeah in our five years i even you know this is nothing to laugh at but you know and you chuckle a little bit but she goes like i even thought of divorcing paul because he always wants to give You know, so, okay. Okay, Should I have said that? Clarify that, babe. Sorry. Well,
4: let me clarify this. Therapy session now. Let me clarify this because this is obviously going to be publicized. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, when all of that was getting examined, um, I had to really confess that there was a thought of even divorce because that's how much I wanted to hold on to my. I'm just going to categorize, blanket categorize possessions. And there was someone in my life disrupting that, right? And um, challenging me in that. And I didn't like that, right? Because my flesh did not like that. So the natural um, devilish thought is, let me escape you. (laughs) Let me run away from you Um, uh, to the person who is... um, you know, provoking this and, and interrupting my worldly desires. Mm. So, so that's the context of the divorce. And that was just a one-time thought.
1: <laughs> well, you know, to be, to be fair too, um, a, a lot of the things Jenny, you know, was saying, this has become a, a counseling session, by the way, I hope that's okay for our audience. But I would, I would say things just to kind of just provoke her, just, you know, to get her angry out of spite, right? So that wasn't right either. But but there was this definitely this divide over money, um, and what helped all of that, as Jenny was saying, was really understanding that everything belongs to God, and that there is another life that we're really meant to live, and that this life here is the, the it's the short life compared to the eternal life, and once that future life has become real to us and really now we can imagine it and and believe and have faith that what Jesus is saying about riches in heaven about rewards are real. The grip of this world has has um um what's the word I'm trying to say here? It's ungripped. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I gotta go to the dictionary, learn some more words here. But that's that's exactly like what happened and and then now we're so united in our mission and what we're living for and i've seen such a radical change um you know as i'm mentioning earlier jenny now is watching um even just these reform pastors on holiness they're all about just like the lordship of christ and she's reading her word more all because our attitude of money has been fixed you know billy graham said if you can, um, if, a, if a Christian's attitude on money is fixed, almost everything in their life will line up. He said something like that. So money was such an idol. It was so entrenched in our hearts that we were serving it, and we didn't even realize it. And um, yeah, and then rewards now. That's what we're living for. Is we're living for that future age. You saying?
0: Well, come on, man. That That's a really awesome testimony, right? I mean, it, it really does sound like it was a, a major breakthrough for you guys, and I'm really happy for you. That's, like, that's amazing. It really is. And, uh, you know, I'll say that, um, I mean, you know, Paul, you alluded to it earlier, but I think money is the topic that Jesus talks about more than almost anything else, you know? Um, it is one of the biggest... Um, you know, subjects in the New Testament, and so is eternal rewards. So how is it that like we miss this? Like why why does this seem to be like so not well understood in the church and why does it, you know, like what's in the way? Why aren't why aren't people being taught about this, etc. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think it has to do with they're not understanding that yes we we are saved by faith right we're saved by grace and that it's not our works that justifies us you know in the presence of God right our entrance to heaven it's not our works it's Christ's work but now anytime it has to do anything with rewards they feel like oh wait wait that's earning something now and that's very anti grace so if they hear that, hey, your works will actually be judged, they immediately go, well, 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 hold on, didn't Jesus die for us? Right? Isn't, isn't our work, our works is not what justifies us, so why would he judge us for our works, even though it's so clear in Scripture? So immediately, a lot of pastors won't even touch that. They won't even go over these very clear passages. Like, you know, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15, right? All these. Revelations 22, 12. That's clear that Jesus is saying, I'm going to judge you for your works, and I will render rewards and recompense or pay out these rewards for your works. So they just kind of look over that, or they spiritualize it in the sense of like, oh, just you being in heaven, you know, every, there's no, you know, rewards in heaven. Heaven itself is the reward type of thing, Right? But it, as we'll, we'll begin to unpack, there are varying degrees of rewards in heaven. So I think it's just right. a lack of care on on really kind of exegeting this passage as well and just taking what Jesus is saying and what the Apostle Paul is saying at face value here and not right. trying to do mental gymnastics around it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I'd largely agree with your assessment there. I think, um, you know, what happened in the Reformation and we're talking like Martin Luther in the 16th century, right, was there had become such a, um, such a corruption in the Catholic Church, right, where Catholicism had really become, there was such, there was a gatekeeping around it, right, where it was like, well, you know, we're the priests, and unless you um, meet our standards, you know, you're not saved, and there was a lot of that in the sense that you have to pay us money for indulgences, right, and then we can, bless these people and then to get forgiveness of sins you gotta come to us and then we can absolve you. And there's this huge like gatekeeping in the Catholic Church. And um what happened was when Martin Luther read Paul and you know he saw it. No, it's not it's not according to works, right? It's according to faith alone. Right? And he, and then the priesthood of all believers. And we don't need priests to absolve our sins. We can go directly to the Lord, right? And what happened was there was this um this freedom that came upon many of these reformers because they realized that they didn't have to give in to the control that was so powerful in the Catholic Church. Um, but what I'm convinced is that even though that revelation was really important and good for them in the 16th century, it was really an imperfect reading of the scriptures. And, and what I mean by that. Is that I've I, beca- I became convinced um, more and more as I studied, especially seminary really helped um, this for me. But when Paul's talking about we're saved by faith and not by works, I'm just convinced now at this point that he's not referring to good works. He's referring to works of the law, right? And that's because what Paul the the con- the historical context that Paul was writing in was that there was a huge debate in the early church about whether these, all these Gentiles who were getting saved, whether they needed to become Jews, because that was the Jewish model, right? The Jewish model was you'd go and proselytize to Gentiles, and then if they wanted to become part of the chosen people, then they would have to get circumcised and follow the law of Moses and become Jews. And that was the way it had been done for hundreds of years at this point, right? Um, but what happens in the early church is that the Spirit is poured out in Acts 10 on Cornelius, as a gentile he's not circumcised and but he receives the promise of the spirit which is a promise for the jewish people and this throws the theology of the early church into chaos now peter is confused he goes he goes he goes well who can keep them from being baptized god's given them his spirit the spirit is the mark that they're part of his chosen people and so they allow these gentiles but then this huge debate breaks out in the early church about whether these gentile believers must follow the law must follow the, the law of Moses, right? And um, it's a huge debate, and a lot of Paul's letters are about this, including Ephesians, including um, large portions of Romans, Galatians especially is all about this, right? Um, and it's this whole idea that, no, because you Gentile believers, because you have the Spirit, you can be confident that you don't need to become Jews. You're part of his chosen people because we're not saved by the law. We're saved by faith. That was Paul's entire point, that that Abraham was not saved because he got circumcised. He was saved by his faith, and then later on he became circumcised as a mark of his faith, right? And um, the only reason I bring that up is because I just think that misreading of, of these texts has resulted in so much confusion in you know, in the church because we're just putting the emphases in the wrong places, right? When Paul's talking about how we're saved by faith and not by works of the law, what happens is that has become such a mantra now for so many Protestant Christians where whenever the scriptures talk about the importance of works, we don't know how to filter that. You know, we're like, what do we do with that? Like, what do we do with 1 Corinthians 9, right? Run the race in such a way as to win it. I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach, I may not be disqualified. That sounds like salvation by works, right because this is what happened in the the protestant church is what we did was we flattened the entire bible into everything's a story about how you know you're saved by faith and not according to works and like literally that's every parable right every parable gets gets reduced to oh this is how you get saved by faith and not by works like literally like i remember i was part of a reformed church for a while where the pastor there who I should clarify, is a great man of God, all right? I, I love I love him, okay? But I got so sick of hearing his preaching. I'm just going to be blunt. That's just my personal, because because every single message, it was the same message every week. Every message every week was salvation by faith and not according to works, right? And he just used a different passage to preach that, and he used a different illustration, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was the same message. And I remember I was there for like two years. I heard that message so many times. I was like, all right, I got it. I, <laughs> I, I got, I got it. But the only reason I bring it, out, I'm really not trying to bash on on him, or because you know these are, are great men of God. Um, but what I'm what I'm getting at is, I think this is why we can read all of these of parables and all these passages, and it goes, whoosh, it just, it it, it 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 it, our theology doesn't know what to do with it. All of this stuff that makes it sound like works are so important, right? So, for example, like um, so much of this theology is, "Hey, your righteousness is dirty rags, right? Whatever you try to be good, it's it's worth nothing to God, right?" And this is all to say, you can't earn your salvation, right? So, because you can't earn your salvation, you should recognize that even when you try and do something good, from God's perspective, it's actually evil, okay? And what we what we the the system that we basically build up is like, you can't do anything that's, that's worth anything to God, right? Nothing you can do is worth anything to God. And that gets theologically ingrained so that we can emphasize how dependent on the grace of God we are, right? So I'm contributing nothing. I'm doing nothing. God has done everything. It's all God. It's all his mercy. It's all his grace. But then how does that fit into a theological framework of now I'm going to be judged according to my works. That doesn't it doesn't fit, right? It's like no, I, my works are garbage, <laughs> right? I didn't do anything to deserve anything. I deserve nothing. It's all by mercy. And yet you have all of these passages talking about how important it is to do good works, how Jesus is warning us about not doing certain things and saying how important it is to do these certain things and we don't have a theological grid to understand that. That's my best guess of why all of this stuff gets uh, you know, gets lost on the church. And it's also the reason why sometimes it doesn't happen that much to me anymore, but sometimes when we talk about works, it actually really offends a lot of Christians, right? Where they're like, "What is this? Like this eternal rewards. I don't do anything for rewards. I do it because I love Jesus. I do it because I was nothing. I was dirt and he had mercy on me and he's given me everything. And that's why I serve. And I don't do anything for a reward. Like what kind of selfish backwards Christianity is that? <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever heard that, but <laughs> Oh
1: hundred percent, hundred
0: percent. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. And, go ahead, Paul. And
1: I would say that a lot of our, you know, um, um, Orthodox and Catholic brothers and, and early church fathers would largely agree with what you're saying. Right. Um, Um, so, but let's just say, let's say the, this whole rewards, um, in heaven, it's not a monolithic kind of view. There are varying degrees of like what they feel that would look like, but let's say even more in the spectrum of the reform theology where, Hey, you are saved by grace, right? By, by faith alone, right? You still have to go over those passages of like first Corinthians three, Right, that your works will be tested. You're barely escaping as if through a fire. That you will be judged. Second Corinthians um, five, right? By your works, all you still have to have that. So work merit still matters, regardless of where you are on your theological spectrum when it comes to salvation. It absolutely does matter. And I know this. It's been debated heavily. And I know we probably offended a lot of our Reformed brothers right now for sure. So, but we just hey, we love you guys, right? So please don't cancel us. But at the end what really does matter is that we will stand before christ and we will be judged for our works and you will be rewarded accordingly okay even if if your eschatology is is that there's going to be a judgment one judgment at the end both the just and the unjust and jesus is going to dispense punishment for the unbelievers and rewards for the believers or if you're more dispensational like i am where there's going to be one judgment for believers, and there will be the great white throne judgment in the future. The principle is the same there. Jesus is going to judge you for your works. You can't escape that in Scripture. So now you have have to look at Scripture. Is Scripture your authority? As a Reformed person, Sola Scriptura, look at it, right? You rely on Scripture. Well, Scripture is clear that you will be judged for your works. And so, and I think that's the reason why Largely, why the kind of the evangelical church here in the West is unfruitful, right? Where they say things that just really hurts my ears. Like you know, you want to be more balanced, man. (laughs) Like I hate when they say things like that. It's like, what do you mean balance? Like Jesus was absolutely all out in his example of what it means to live for the kingdom. Right Because he had this mindset that he's living for a mission and that he's living um, um, you know to please his father and that we're here to do that that we will to beat our body into submission where we're going to even um, um, Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my followers, you have to hate your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother if you don't you're not even worthy of following me you see what I'm saying It's like how do you you read that passage? what does that mean to you? It means complete Uh, uh, sold out for the kingdom and and Jesus will judge how you live in a very very um, um, I mean nothing will be uh, I'm blanking out right now even your words your thoughts your behaviors all of those things will be laid bare in front of him and how did this contribute to my kingdom so those are my thoughts
2: yeah so just to clarify for my own sake when you guys were talking about the debate of whether you're saved through works or it's just s- simply through faith or grace alone right I think we all agree that yes it is the grace of God that saves us I think we all agree on that so just from my understanding is there is a debate about where one one portion of the body says you can like absolutely not, no works are involved in becoming saved. Like it's nothing that you can do. Or is it, are those scriptures where God says, you know, your your works are, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Nothing you can do, you know, can earn your salvation, all that. Are all of those scriptures and what God says simply categorized for lack of a better word towards salvation in the context of salvation? And then works that earn you rewards it's it's a totally different kind of category it's not about salvation do you understand what i'm saying yeah yeah,
0: yeah. paul you want me to take a stab at that yeah yeah so forgive me because the, some of this is going to get a little bit technical all right and it's not you know i i don't want to make it too complex but there's a there's a there's a kind of a way that the way that i put it is most reformed churches and i'm talking like more heavily calvinistic churches what they tend to do, and by the way, we're all Korean here, except for you, Paul, <laughs> right? I converted. <laughs> yeah. right. Koreans are very, are, our heritage is very much a Reformed heritage, yeah. right? Like we're all Presbyterian, right? We all grow up kind of Presbyterian. So this is the way we're really taught at a very young age. And the way I always think about it is that Reformed theology, it, it to me, it's, it's like Romans is the heart of the Reformed Bible. And then everything is interpreted out of Romans, something like that, okay? And the way that the, that, that the Reformed Church reads Romans is that Romans 1 through 3 is establishing that everybody is sinful. Everybody is sinful, right? Everybody deserves eternal condemnation. And then it goes on to the only way to be saved is, you know, putting your faith in Christ. And then it's God's sovereign choice. He chooses who is saved. Right, something like that. I'm obviously that's like the a, a huge paraphrase. I tend to think that this is an okay reading of Romans, but not a great reading of Romans. Okay, and the reason is because I think it's largely a a, a failure of understanding Hebraic culture. Okay, and that's because Hebraic culture thinks differently than Western culture. Western culture is very individualistic. Hebraic culture is very corporate and group-oriented. So, for example, if you were a Jew, you didn't think of yourself as a chosen person. You thought of yourself as part of a chosen people. So the whole idea is that the the chosenness is attached to the nation. It's not attached to the, to you as an individual. You can be kicked out of the chosen people. Does that make sense? And um, the reason why that's relevant is because I'm convinced Romans 1 through 3 is is not necessarily talking about how every individual is sinful. It's talking about how the nations became sinful, about how the nations became estranged from God. And Romans 1 is about how the nations did not consider the knowledge of God valuable enough to be held on to. So they started to worship other gods. And so God gave them over to their sinful desires. And it's not talking about every individual per se, it's talking about how God gave the nations over. I think Heiser's Michael Heiser's paradigm that he gave them over to the sons of God, the principalities of heaven. Right? He handed them over because when you get into the New Testament, Paul especially in Galatians is going to start talking about how you are slaves to the elemental forces of the world, right? Like you're in bondage to Satan and to these spiritual princes, you don't have power. So that's why Christ had to die. He died on the cross to buy you back, to redeem you from the slavery to these powers so that you could be reconciled to God and again the 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 emphasis is on the people groups you as a nation have now been purchased right so that you've been bought so that that's why the gospel which was previously just given to the Jewish people only the Jewish people had the revelation of God and could be in 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 R- relationship with him. But now, you know, in Galatians 3, I think it says it says Christ became a curse so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon all the nations of the earth, right? So, what I'm what I'm giving here is I'm giving a little bit of a more nationalistic paradigm for the gospel, okay? And the reason why, you know, all of that is is important and relevant here again is because when we learn and teach that i'm so sinful and my righteousness is dirty rags and and they're quoting you know in romans 3 that some very famous passages right like for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god right and they're all they've all together become worthless right there's no one who does good not even one all right those passages paul is quoting from the psalms Okay, he's quoting from I I want to say it's Psalms fifty-seven, Psalms 14, there's repetition of those Psalms. If you go to those original Psalms and you read them, it helps you understand what Paul's point is. Because in those original Psalms that Paul's quoting from, that, that, that Paul is quoting from, what he's saying is that the those who say that there is no God, they are fools. They're altogether unrighteous, right? And he goes on to say, They eat my people like bread, right? And he's making a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous in that psalm, but he's quoting that psalm in Romans 3. Does that make sense? And what happened was, we early Gentile Christians, we read that and we said, oh, what he must mean, and we're talking about God's like Augustine and stuff, right? What he must mean is that all people are deeply sinful and they have no ability to do anything good in God's sight, right? And That's not what that means. That's not what Paul means. What he means is that all nations have rebelled against God, okay? All nations have rebelled against God. And the point, my only point bringing up all of this is to say, like, I I once talked with a Reformed friend who said, like, I I said, can an, an unsaved person do anything good? And he said, no, it's not possible. He can't do anything good. Right like if what and I said, well, what if he like loves his children and he you know buys them something you know he buys them food and he says no, because he's actually doing that for a selfish reason on the inside, right he doesn't even understand his own selfishness, but it's actually all motivated by selfishness because all his righteousness is his filthy rags it's all completely evil he just doesn't realize it, okay hmm. that I think is completely wrong. Okay. That, 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 what that does is it makes God impossible to understand or to relate to. Because what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a category where I can't do anything that is actually good until I'm saved. And then once I'm saved, everything I do is good. Does that make sense? Now I'm controlled by the Holy spirit. Now I'm the good robot who's been reprogrammed by God and now I'm doing everything good. And the point is, it's separating human agency from ourselves, as though we have no real. Our only job is to believe, right? And this is another part of the problem because the way that we define faith in that context, I think, is the wrong understanding of faith. Like, for example, like I, I serve at a church now that is a a Reformed church, right? And we say the Apostles' Creed every. You you
1: just you just predestined to be in Reformed churches, I know, Dennis.
0: You're I just, know, uh, right? you know what I mean? <laughs> I know. But we say the Apostles' Creed every week, right? That's like really important, right? We say the Apostles' Creed. By the way, I believe the Apostles' Creed, okay, right? But we recite it every week, and then we do confirmations, right? Where, you know, I remember, like, I'll be honest, I I had to wrestle a little bit here because I had these, you know, young students, and the church was asking me to confirm them. And it was on the basis that they believed the Apostles' Creed. And now as a pastor, I'm supposed to say, You're confirmed, you're saved, you're going to heaven. And I'm like, but I don't believe that. (laughs) Right? Like, I don't believe, I don't believe on the basis of believing these facts about Jesus that that's what the Bible means by faith. I think there's lots of people that believe those things that will not enter into heaven right? And so this is part of the difficulty of being a pastor, right, in all these different contexts, because every church has their own theological particulars, and I've got to try and navigate that as a pastor, right? So I, the way I handled it was, hey, I said, the the church, you know, it wants to confirm you on the basis of this, but I need to tell you that I think that this is not what it means by faith, right? Believing these facts about Jesus, that he died, that he rose again from the dead for your sins, all that, I think that's essential, but that's not what the scriptures actually mean by faith. Faith, from my perspective, is giving your, your allegiance to Christ. You're believing loyalty. You're trusting loyalty to him. And so, and it's proven over the course of your life. So you have to finish your life having a, a vibrant allegiance to Christ in order to be saved. So that's what I communicated to them personally, right? But I told them, if you give your faith to Christ and and maintain that until you die, then yes, you will be saved, right? So that's what I tried to communicate to them. But the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I run into these alternate understandings of what faith is, of what... Um, you know, righteousness is of what, and the thing is, it's not like they're totally off, right? It's not like it's a completely different thing. It's just not quite right. And 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 the reason why I'm, the reason why I'm saying this is because there's so many Christians that have been taught that if you simply believe these facts about Jesus, right? He died on the cross. He rose again for your sins. All this kind of stuff. You believe these facts, you're you're guaranteed a seat in heaven because it's not about your works, right? It's not about your actions, that doesn't matter. It's just your belief, that's it. Anything else is trying to earn your salvation. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh,
1: Dennis, I hear you, I hear you. I've actually started kind of hanging out with, you know, um, or learning from like the Orthodox Church and what what they're saying, what you're saying is, is like what they're saying, right? That salvation is this process and then this walk in your life so that you persevere it's not a one time you believe and then you're saved at that moment, right? But on, on the flip side, um, and just to be devil's advocate here, a reformed person would say, hey, if your life doesn't show any works, then you're likely not saved. For sure. Right? So there are there are reformed people that would say, hey, you know, like sal- salvation means you really are showing it. Right? So j- just to be fair, you know, to... to I'm not Absolutely. reformed at all. Okay? I'm not reformed at all. Um... I have many good friends who are Reformed. And um, there, there's there's a lot of things that Martin Luther taught that I believe was, was essential for the church, right? But that I, I think they did go a little too far now when it comes to works. They became, um, what's the word, antinomian, right? Anti-law. But they're not yeah. seeing now that there's there is merit. There is merit. The early church fathers talked about merit. They talked about the importance of works, now, obviously, what you're saying here is that it does affect your salvation, where some, me and, and, and what I believe, I believe that you are saved by faith. Your works, though, is what will show as rewards in heaven. Now, I could be wrong with that. Yeah. But re- no, re- regardless. Absolutely. Words,
0: yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Most Reformed people will say, yes, your lifestyle has to manifest the reality that you truly do believe Otherwise, but the, but the problem is that the theology itself lends itself to a uh, an understanding where if you just believe these facts, that's why again and again. Yeah, I,
1: I, just mental assent. Like, yeah, you just believe it in your heart and you're good and you don't have to do anything. I, 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 I see what you're saying. I see what you're well, saying. It's, well, dangerous. it's because
0: that's how faith is defined. Does that make sense? Faith is defined via creed. And that's, I think that's the problem. And that's why it, it constantly lends itself towards this understanding of if we believe these facts, we're good to go. And you've seen the church fall into that again and again, and then have to have revivals to break out of that again and again. Does that make sense? Like, you see that throughout church history, and I'm just saying that's still strong. Like, like you're talking about the Orthodox, right? The Orthodox, they don't even believe in penal substitution, Right. Like, penal, like if you ask the average Protestant Christian today, like Korean Christian, hey, what is the gospel? You're going to get some variation of penal substitution, right? You deserved, uh, we all deserve hell, but Jesus died for the sake of our sins to pay the price we could not pay so that we could be in heaven, right? That's penal substitution. The Orthodox don't even believe in penal substitution, right? Which is why most Reformed Christians would not consider, they would consider Orthodox heretics.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. No, yeah. I consider them brothers and sisters in Christ, so... Yeah, I do too,
0: but that's because I define faith differently. Does that make sense? Like, the way we define faith really matters, and that's what I'm pointing out. The way that the Protestant church has defined faith over the past 500 years has lent itself to a number of these errors, right? There's a reason why these errors keep popping up again and again. Sure. And I, I do see the effect of that,
1: and we can talk a little bit about, you know, how that kind of... Belief has caused, if okay, let me just define it real quick. This belief that yeah, faith is mental assent, that you don't have to do anything, right? This is kind of more the extreme version here, but has infected the Western Church. It has made a lot of Christians lazy, right? Or or, or people who think they're Christians but they're not. They're not showing the importance of works, right? Faith without works is a dead type of thing. So I, I do see it. And I do see that people, anytime they get convicted, they'll just say, well, I just need to confess it. And and almost as if that is a, a uh, you know, a scapegoat to not doing the work, right? They don't want to feel convicted. They always run to this like, no, I'm good. I'm saved. So I, I, I get that there's there's that evidenced in the church and it's not, it's not good. It's not pleasing
0: to the Lord for sure. Yeah, I...
2: Oh I'm sorry. I was just wondering how does the the sinner who was crucified next to Jesus fit into this then? Like because basically he just repented and believed well, in the facts <laughs> and then Jesus was like you'll be with me.
1: So my 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 theology is is a little different um, from Dennis, but I wholeheartedly understand where Dennis is coming from. Well, for me I believe that again it's not it's not your works that save you. Mm-hmm. Right? That it's your faith. Yeah. Um, However, once you're saved, it, it must be you must work. You must, right? And there's no Christian in, in would would say that that's wrong, right? They would they would agree, right? Or at least in the reform camp. Um, so now now that I know that you have to work now, right? Jesus is our master. He is our Lord. And what what does a master do for his servants? He rewards them according to their work. So there will be some Christians who have given it all for the kingdom, given it all, even to the point of martyrdom. There are some Christians who have sold their properties and gave everything they have for the kingdom. They will receive rewards in heaven, Mm -hmm. right? More rewards because of that. And there will be some who'll have some rewards because they gave some. And there will be some who'll have zero rewards, Mm -hmm. like the thief and the cross, yeah. Or some who have zero rewards, as it says in First Corinthians three, as if they're barely escaping through the fire. Mm-hmm. In other words, they have nothing to show mm-hmm. in their lives to advance the kingdom of God. They were they were just, you know, skating by. So I think that's why it's important to understand rewards that there's these varying degrees in heaven, mm-hmm. and that's why your works matter. But I I think it might be a little different than than your understanding of that, Dennis.
0: No 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 mine's very similar. I mean I I don't believe you can earn your way to heaven to, on, on the basis of good works, okay? My only contention is I don't think any Jews really believe that. Right? That was never part of Jewish theology. Okay? So that that's the only thing I'm pushing back is it's a misunderstanding that causes us to put the emphasis in the wrong place, right? I don't think we should be afraid that people are like we shouldn't be afraid of pelagianism, right? Like pelagianism is, is that belief, right? You can earn your way to heaven through being good enough. Okay. I literally have never met a Christian in my life that believed that, right? I I've never but what happens is when we start talking about works, there are many people that immediately go, Oh, you're getting into Pelagianism, right? And that's because there's this tendency to be like, if you're devaluing the importance of faith and you're emphasizing the importance of works, you're on the slippery slope to to this heresy that's, you know, that that's how they read Ephesians and Galatians and all these different books. OK, that's all that I'm, I'm, I'm getting at with all of this. OK, my theology is sure, exactly sure. the same as you in the sense that, no, you can't earn your salvation through good works. All right. It's by faith alone. I believe that. But I define faith as a loyalty, as allegiance to Christ. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's why it manifests as good works. Right. The way Paul puts it is it's, you know, the obedience that comes by faith. Right? Oh, as, I see. Yeah. Right? Faith is not just believing certain things about Jesus. It's giving him our allegiance such that, yeah, of course it's going to manifest in obedience to his commands. All right? Yeah. Um, so Paul, as think, you can see, as you can yeah. see,
1: even Dennis, I, I, I grew up in a Protestant church. So a lot of what you're saying at first just doesn't resonate. Right? Yeah. And it, it takes a while to really unpack that. So I appreciate your courage, unwilling to even, you know, mention the P word there because that that's some fighting words in, in Protestant circles. But I appreciate that. You know, when you study church history, a lot of these guys spoke just like you, right? But now what we have is that we have from our pastors a lack of courage to really dig deep into this, especially because it has to do with our salvation. I think they must, they need to. But if if it's okay, can we we pivot to like the rewards? I'd love to talk about, you know, um, some of the things that we can earn, right? That we are working for in heaven. And I think that's what a lot of, of of Christians, um, you know, here in the states, like, oh wait wait wait, earning, uh, man, why are you why are you saying that? Like, that's not nothing in Christianity is earned, or you don't work for that stuff. And I'd love to really kind of, you know, dispel that, you know, belief, and and you know, so we can maybe go over some passages. You know, or we can just end this podcast and just just talk about those people who are not believing it and partially gossip. No, I'm kidding.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I I agreed yeah. to join because I mean, I told Dennis like I don't know what to say. Like, yeah. none of this was taught to me growing up. You know, and I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I not for every single Korean church, and you know, I want to be a little careful because my dad was the pastor of the church that I grew up in. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect, pops. I love you, but like, I did not learn any of this and for sure. my concept of God and earning anything was just trying to earn his love basically or earn like your prayers also have to start off with some kind of sorry right <laughs> 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 because you messed up in some way for sure right for sure and so this concept of like we were talking about this even the other week with our our small group like w- w- what that are rewards like <laughs> Like, like the, the, the idea that God wants to give you rewards. Like, he's putting us through this test so that he can reward you. It's not just because he wants to punish you. And, you know, like, Ashley and I, like, used to joke around that, man, we're just trying to get into heaven. Like, you know that passage? Like, we're fine with that. Like, I'm just happy to be there. Sure, <laughs> and that's sure. good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, You know? But then it's because I don't have any kind of understanding of what is a reward. Like, like a house? Like, is it going to have diamonds in it like do i care about diamonds in the next life you know like do sure. i care that i have a new name like yes. like i'm fine with hannah you know like it's gonna be something like
1: <laughs> hey hannah so backwards beautiful. is hannah too right is it yeah
2: yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know what i mean like I, it's hard for me and like this might be going off on a slightly we'll come back to what paul was trying to bring us towards But i've just been sitting here wondering why the korean church In my experience of other churches I visited struggled with this, our concept of a rewarding God, of eternal rewards. um, Is it because of the missionaries that first went to Korea, like their influence? Like, I have no idea, you know, but I feel like, yeah, from my point of view, a lot of Korean churches really struggle with this.
1: Well, to talk about a father's love, right, or God's love, there's a difference between God's unconditional love for us and him being pleased with us. His love, him dying for us, was unconditional. But him being pleased with his servant is absolutely conditional. The level of him being pleased with the works that we bring for him is conditional. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, to all Christ followers. There will be some that will be ashamed that they didn't put in any work in the kingdom. And that's clear in scripture. So what happens is, is that we have Christians now conflating love and pleasing him right? God loves us unconditionally, but he's not pleased with all of us unconditionally. There are conditions to him being pleased with us. Henry, anyway, feel free to push back if you guys disagree.
0: I mean, I don't want to get too far off track, but if this is like, a, we could do a whole podcast episode just on this topic, because yeah. I actually think it's actually really fascinating, to be honest. Um, like, what, what verses do we use to justify the, the idea that God's love to, towards us is unconditional? Well, like that, we, not-
1: we're, right, but that we were enemies. Before mm-hmm. he died for us. Mm-hmm. So that's that's unconditional, right? That before we were even, we were we were um, um, angry towards him and we were rageful against him. That we were enemies towards him and that he died for us. So that I, I do believe in that unconditional love of God, for sure.
0: I mean, but what does that mean? Like the, the whole idea of an unconditional love is one that, hit, so can God not feel any, does he feel maximum love for all Christians? Is it all at like level 100 love?
1: I I believe so. Yes, I believe
0: that his love, just like for you know, uh, well, I guess
1: maybe we shouldn't use you know parents with kids because some parents might just say I, I don't love that kid as much as the other kid, but but I would say that God loves His children equally, yeah. But He He won't give His children certain things equally. Okay, I so, hear you. So so I, I so maybe I've just separated the two, and I actually heard John Bevere say say this. That's where I got it yeah. from, and it really yeah. made sense to me.
0: Yeah, it's it. So I'm the odd duck here, okay? Because most people, most Christians that I know, most pastors I know, would would all say that God loves us, you know, in the ways that you're describing. I've just become more more convinced over the years. Um, I don't think that's true, okay? And and again, I'm not. This this could derail our whole conversation, so I don't want to go too long on this. What is so interesting? It is it's so interesting to me. Um, it's it's like Ananias and Sapphira, right? They were Christians until that episode, I think, right? (laughs) And then, and then they were killed. Now I don't necessarily think I, I have hope that Ananias and Sapphira are in heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but what I think is, I think it becomes really complicated when we try to understand the love of God in a way that doesn't move because it's not consistent with what we see in scripture. Like, um, I feel like it's not Um, like in numbers 11, Miriam and Aaron challenge Moses's leadership and God just lets them have it. You know, he lets them have it because he's, he, he strikes them with leprosy and he says, Moses is faithful in all my house. Who are you right to question Moses? Right. And he makes it very clear that the favor that he has for Moses is much greater than the favor that he has for them. And, they're, and and the problem is that they presumed that they had the same favor as Moses did. Does that make sense? And I think that that dynamic can be seen throughout scripture. Now, what I what I want to clarify here is I do think many Christians struggle with shame and condemnation, and I think that has to do with misunderstanding how God loves us. Okay? I think many Christians feel really condemned because, you know, they Struggle with lustful thoughts, and they, you know, the, you know, stuff like that. I, I think some of those things are not the things that, you know, cause god not to feel great affection for us. So, to, I'm just trying to clarify that I do think it's worthwhile to try and help Christians understand how great His love is for us. I think it's really important. Okay, but when we're getting into the discussion of rewards, I do think the rewards are a reflection of the way that God feels about us in terms of His favor. And his love, and and again, I used to separate his love and his favor, and be like, well, they're two separate things. I'm just more. The more, and more, I re, I just feel like they're they're they are linked together. That's my own personal conviction. I do feel like there's a sense in which we get closer to God. He shares more secrets with us. He does feel greater love for us in 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 any sense that that really matters, right? Unless we're going to completely change the definition of what love is. I do think he does feel greater affection for some people than for others. Um, because again, like some people, you know, how do I put this? Um, this idea of God having favor for some people, I think is very well established in scripture. Okay. And to be clear, I think what he makes clear is that he does not show favorites in the sense that it's not that he goes, you know, Dennis is my favorite. And so I'm going to bless him and give him faith and make him you know, make him close to me. I don't think it's like that, but that is more the Calvinistic understanding in some ways. I think it's more like God is not does not show favoritism in the sense that whoever gives him faith, he will draw near. He'll draw near to whoever draw near draws near to him. Something like that. Okay. So the more faith that we give to God, the more he draws near to us and trusts us. And that is all a sign of close relationship and affection. Okay? And the way I understand it is that, yeah, I, I think I think there is a difference in the way that God loves people, but I would say that he loves all people, and he loves all Christians at a greater level than all people, but I would say that, you know, beyond that, I think there's a difference in how we get close to God and how much he feels love for us. Got it. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. So what I did there is
1: I just separated pleasing with love. Yeah, I I definitely have to really ponder and meditate on that, and really unpack that. That, That's something actually I've never heard of before. It's Mm. it's, that's that's new to me, but I'm I'm willing to um, to look into that for sure, (laughs) for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I hope this doesn't get taken the wrong way, you know. But as a parent, and I'm not saying that I'm God is just how I am, right? I think we're there are shades of what we can understand uh, God's character and what he's like but as a parent like yeah when I look at my kids I feel affection for them just because they're mine they're mine right there's that baseline but there are times too of where that feeling of love or affection can grow right and sometimes it's it's based on you know their behavior you know what they're doing you know they're they're more pleasing to me right know, right so Again, I don't know. Someone might skew that in a weird way. No, <laughs> no. Uh, well, but like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just wondering if there's some similarity.
1: How you behave so. and how, what you put in in this world, God will respond to accordingly. Your merit matters. And that's very important. Right? I mean, Dennis and I disagree, like, just slightly disagree on God loving us unconditionally conditionally. But there's one thing that we're united on: is that your works absolutely matter, and and God will either be pleased with you or not be pleased with you. And so,
0: I think that's very important for us to establish. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. Why don't we pivot into some of these levels of rewards? Because um, I think yeah. you asked that question, and I, I, and I think one of the one of the clear levels of reward is no rewards, <laughs> right? Like oh, for sure. Yeah, and, for sure. My understanding of that is that that is somebody who is saved, who gets eternal life, but they have no rewards. Is that consistent with how you guys feel?
1: Yes, that's what's that's actually what many people confess. I'm okay with just going to heaven. I don't care about rewards, right? Just get me in there,
0: right? Yeah. So, yeah. Where Now, so let me ask, where do you see these people? Are there any passages that you could think of where you see this category being talked about so that we can bring some Bible into this? Of course, yes. Well, 1 Corinthians 3, 11
1: through 15. So let me just read it. For no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. That day is talking about, you know, the judgment seat. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. In the NLT, they, they say it better, barely escaping through the flames. So there will be some who won't have any reward to show, as if they barely escaped through the flames there. They have zero rewards. And then there are varying degrees of how that look like. What does rewards yeah. in heaven look like, and that's great to unpack.
0: Yeah, I think that that is one of the best passages that really almost explicitly seems to lay that out, right? Like that's a really that's a really clear one to me. Okay, so I think that's the A plus passage. Um, I would point out um, several of the parables that Jesus talks about, and I'm curious what you guys think about these. Okay, one of them, um, well, two of them, we can find I think in Matthew 25 and this is the this is um you know Jesus's all of it discourse which is him talking about the end times right the last days and so both of these parables have to do with the the end times so one of them is the parable of the 10 of the virgins the foolish virgins and the wise virgins right and what happens to the foolish virgins is that they have no oil in their lamp so what happens is when it becomes night time they realize I got to go get oil. So they try to go get oil, but then the bridegroom comes and he takes the, ri- he takes the wise virgins into the, the um, wedding feast and then they come later on to the door and they knock on the door of the wedding feast, um, but they're denied entrance into the wedding feast. Okay, so this is, um, you know, the foolish virgins. I'm trying to, let me, let me see here. Um, he says open the door for us but he probably he replied truly I tell you I don't know you therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour okay let's talk about this one first and then we could talk about the next one okay now sure.
1: hey, Dennis I just want to preface I'm dispensational man so yeah no what that's what, what, good. what I'm about to share is might be completely different than that's you, know, fine. you and, and then um, the rest of our reformed friends so that's fine and I, I just want to say that because dispensational teaching is is
0: a, um, a scary thing for a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> no worries, man. I mean, look, one of the things we should acknowledge is when we're talking yeah. about parables and the interpretation of parables, yeah. right? They're they're not clear for a reason to some degree, right? So yeah. it's not the, the theology isn't clearly spelled out. all mm-hmm. right? So I don't think we should become super dogmatic, you know, about whatever interpretation we think is most likely. Yeah. Um, but my understanding, this is my understanding, is that the virgins, the fact that they're virgins speaks to their spiritual purity. In in the Bible, um, you know, adultery, spiritual adultery is when you worship other gods. Okay? So, them being virgins, I think, is significant. Okay? It means that they have kept themselves pure for the sake of Jesus. They have not worshipped other gods. Okay? Um, I On that basis, I tend to interpret this as being Christians, okay, that the the foolish versions are Christians. Now, I know many people would say, no, this is speaking of non-Christians, right? These are non-Christians who don't know Jesus. Um, I would guess, I think they are Christians. I think that the anointing oil speaks of uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that anointing oil is the anointing of the Spirit that gives you effective ability to do ministry. Ministry is represented by lamps and lights because you're able to cast effective light. And the context is that in the in the time when the bridegroom recu- returns, the speaking of the end of the age when Jesus returns, there's mass deception all over the earth, darkness all over the earth, right where there's confusion, people don't know where to go, and so those believers who have real anointing of the Spirit and can see where they're supposed to be going and can see the bridegroom as he returns, so they're they're in they're they're aware of the bridegroom returning and they're joining with him as he returns and they're welcomed into the wedding feast because they're prepared right for the hour, all right? And the contrast is the foolish virgins that don't, don't have the anointing of the spirit, they're still pure, they're still Christians, but they don't get into the wedding feast. And I interpret the wedding feast as the place where rewards are distributed. Mm-hmm. So they are denied entrance to the place where rewards are distributed. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they don't have any rewards. And the Lord says, I don't know you. Speaking of, I don't have relational intimacy with you.
1: Mm. wow it's fascinating it's fascinating
2: so that's different from like what I've heard before is, yeah. you know that it's about when he says I don't know you means you're not saved or the right. gnashing and you know weeping is you're in hell yeah <laughs> like right so you think that it's, it's the place of reward rather than heaven itself
0: yeah, I think so. And that's based not just on that, but the other parables. We'll go into a couple of those other parables, but I think they would back up that interpretation. But Paul, I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on, what, what's your interpretation of that passage?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, that's, that's fascinating. Dennis. I've never thought of it that way before. So I'd love to you know continue this talk with you, you know, sometime later and, and really unpack that. But for, for mine, it's like what um, Hannah said. It's that those that were, didn't have the oil right we're not saved and here's here's where my dispensational training comes in so my understanding of that parable is the galilean wedding tradition so when jesus started talking about that he was speaking about how Gal um how jewish people do weddings mm-hmm. so um what would happen is I, i'm not sure are you guys familiar with this no. With that many any chance right well just for our audience is not um you have the the person, or the bridegroom, or the person, or the guy that would go to the father and say, "Hey, I really like your daughter. I would like to marry her, right, with her consent." And then the dad would ask the daughter, and then the daughter goes, "Yes, I would like to marry him." And so then they would be, um, they would drink wine, and they would be betrothed. So that would be kind of the marriage contract, right? So at that point now, they're betrothed, and. The bridegroom would say now to his betrothed, hey, I'm gonna go to my father's house and I will build a place for us. And I don't know what time I'm coming back, only my father knows. So he'll leave to his father's house and they will build either an extension of a room or kind of a small little house next to the father's house where then one day the dad will say, okay, now that that house is, is complete, go ahead and get your wife. So he builds, he builds that um, honeymoon chamber, and then the father then will say, hey, it's ready. And the son has no idea when it's ready. And sometimes in Jewish customs, they'll even play around where the dad will goes, it might be today, it might be tomorrow. And the son's like, dad, I really wanna go get my wife now, you know what I mean? So it'd be like that, right? And so, um, and as, as the, the nearing of the honeymoon chamber is built, he would go ahead and send signs to his betrothed saying, it's almost there, get ready. In the meantime, right the betrothed or, or the lady will be over there at waiting and she will adorn herself in in wedding clothes to let people know that she's set apart for her bridegroom and then go back to the to the bridegroom the dad will finally say hey go get your your bride and so him and his and his um uh, groomsmen will go and and sometimes will go at night like a thief in the night and they will blow the shofar and they will take the bride and kind of rapture her away, and so now you see kind of like the dispensational Is themes that here. You, Jenny? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so, so now go back to the parable of of uh, you know the ten virgins. Um, there were some um, um, of the um the virgins that would have lamps with oil, and some that were like, ah, they're not coming tonight. They're not they're not going to show he's, he's not coming. So they're not preparing. So that shows somebody who's really not believing in the bridegroom. They're almost kind of this wicked people that are just like not having faith or they're lazy and something like that. And finally, when they come like, Oh my gosh, get get me some oil, get me some oil. Right. And so they get left behind. And then once the bridegroom gets the bride, they will go into the honeymoon um, wedding feast for seven days, which is symbolic for seven years and people will be left behind here on earth type of thing, which is, again, I, I'm not dogmatic on that. I could be wrong in my interpretation of that,
0: but that's what, what I hold to and what I was raised in. Got Hopefully it. that made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, thanks for sharing, Paul. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. Um, the the other parable that I would like to point to is the next one, the parable of the talents, right, or the bags of gold, right? And in particular, what we see is that the the one who's really faithful— right? Has five bags of gold, he multiplies it, and then he takes ownership of 10 cities, all right? So I think this speaks of one of one of the clearest rewards that Jesus talks about, which is authority, okay? So I, I would say that this parable is about authority, right? How we're faithful with riches, his riches on the earth, which don't seem like that much sometimes, um, but we're the... What it's going to do, it's it's showing how faithful we are, so that we'll be entrusted with much greater things in the age to come. Yes. Okay. Um, and for our discussion, the relevance is the is the lazy servant, right? The one who takes his his talent or his bag of gold and then he hides it in the ground, right? And then um, and then the master reply, you know, comes back and he says. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid to went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here it is. As master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. We can have an interesting conversation about what that means. Um, but anyways, he goes on. So take the bag of gold for me and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has, we given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay? I think the traditional understanding of that is that, that that's got to be a non-Christian now, right? Because they're in the darkness, they're weeping and gnashing of teeth. A lot of people, when they hear weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's like a hell formulation, right? Um, I tend to think that that is not speaking about hell, okay? I tend to think that is speaking about um, the outer darkness which is the place outside of the wedding feast. Okay. So imagine this incredible party is going on where all the rewards are being distributed and the ones outside are the ones who are weeping and, and angry and filled with regret and sorrow because they understood that they, they were faithless in this life. Right. And yet he's still a servant, right? He speaks to him as a servant. All right. Now, I would contrast this with Matthew 24. In the in the previous chapter, Jesus talks about a, a manager who's not faithful. Okay? So I hope this isn't too technical for me to jump into, but let me just outline this real quick. In at the very end of chapter 24, he talks, there's a there's a manager. He puts a manager in charge of his servants. And what happens is the manager starts getting drunk and starts abusing. The other servants, all right, and so what happens is that
1: is that 24, Dennis?
0: Is it not 24? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, it? the very end, 45, oh, sorry, sorry, I see it, I see 46, it. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the the servant, the manager who is faithful, it says in verse 47, I will put him in charge of all my possessions right? But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time, and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, in an hour he's not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think that speaks of being thrown into hell, okay? Because in this this example, this manager is actually killed, right? He's killed, he's cut into pieces, and he's assigned a place with the hypocrites. So I think this speaks of a much greater and harsher judgment against leaders in the body of Christ who fall into this behavior pattern, okay? And the behavior pattern here is he um, he begins to eat and drink with the drunkards, and that speaks of, of in overindulging in the wine of the world, right? The pleasures of this life, he overindulges in the pleasures of this life, and then he begins to abuse the those that he has been put in charge of. And I think this speaks of abusive pastors and abusive leaders in the church that begin to spiritually abuse right those under them. I think that the punishment is very harsh, right? I think this is an example where he's actually not thrown to the outer darkness. He's actually he's actually killed. Yeah, and so. That I think is different than the punishment that we see for the for the wicked and lazy servant. All right. This is a servant he's not abusing and he wasn't entrusted with authority. He was entrusted with relatively little, right? But he was not faithful with that and he was super lazy. Okay? I think this speaks of more of like a lukewarm Christian who's not really serious about the kingdom and like they're just doing whatever and they're wicked and lazy, right? I think they miss out on the rewards, but my best guess is they still get eternal life, whereas this um, abusive manager does not get eternal life. That's my best guess. But again, you know, we have to be clear. I, I still would say I'm still guessing on the interpretation of these passages.
1: Yeah, but the, the principle is there, Dennis, and you're speaking right to it, is that there will be Christians who will get nothing. And there will be Christians now who will be judged more harshly and more strictly, especially pastors. That's why, man, man for all the pastors, like I'm praying for them their motives will be revealed at the judgment seat of christ right if if you're a pastor and you're doing it just because for a salary or for notoriety right or fame that's all going to be revealed you know it says that in hebrews i believe where every thought every motive every impure motive will be brought to light all of those things jesus even said careless words will be judged so every word that you're going to speak will be judged man even this so yeah even even before this we were talking like if I'm doing this podcast for my own glory right if I'm doing it because I want it to go viral and get the likes (laughs) Jesus is gonna say to me at the judgment seat of Christ well you got your reward you got your reward reward (laughs) there on earth you got your tap on the back and that I mean if you read the Beatitudes Jesus talks about that if you're going out and praying and you want people just to hear your lofty prayers okay all right there you got your reward if you're giving and you and people see how much you're giving and they're tapping you on the back for that, you got your reward on earth. And that absolutely crushes me to think that I could be living like that, right? Your, your motives, your thoughts will be laid bare. I mean, some Christians would say even in front of other Christians, they would see. That they would see what you were thinking. That's a scary thought. I
2: mean, I'm just sitting here wondering because I'm trying to understand all this mysterious stuff about the Bible, and my only, I only have this this human life that I've lived so far as reference, right? So, what do you guys think these rewards are? Like, I know the Bible tells us a white stone, you know. Like, I know we're supposed to get glorified bodies, right? Like, I'm looking for that. Like, I don't want uh, no my more. My body's scholiosis. already glorified. I'm just kidding, <laughs> sorry lord but like you know what i mean like what if if we're told not to store up riches here why should we want to receive eternal riches what does that mean is it literal riches like sometimes i hear dennis walking around saying like lord if i can only have a shack in heaven i am still happy you know like and i'm like Well, I'm paraphrasing. Like, what does that mean? Like, is he really going to be happy in a little shack? Like, like, what do you guys think these rewards, like, are? Because it just sounds so mysterious. Like, what's a new name, you know? Like, what's the significance? Like, I would love to know.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing is clear for me, and Dennis talked about that, is rulership, that some will be given cities to rule. And the passage I go back to often is... Matthew 20 where James and John bring their mom to talk to Jesus and say hey Jesus in your kingdom to come right um, make make my sons your co-regent make them kind of like you know the prime minister and then Jesus basically said hey if you're living with that thought of you're gonna lord your authority like the Gentiles you're you're, you're not gonna be rewarded in the age to come you want to live humbly here even to a point of being a slave so that in the age to come, I will reward you with real authority where you'll have authority over nations. So you'll wear a crown, and, and you'll see that in scriptures. Christians wear crowns. Not all will wear crowns. Some will wear crowns, and that symbolizes rulership.
0: So that's one thing that's clear for me. How about you, Dad? Yeah, yeah, I think that is one of the, the clearest rewards, right, that is offered. Um, wealth is another big one, Right, that I think is pretty clear. Um, we see that do not store up your wealth on earth where moth and rust destroy, right? Um, but store them in heaven. And uh, there does seem to be a real way in which some of us will be wealthier in the age to come than than others. Okay. Yeah, why, do you think that would matter? Like, why would wealth matter in the next age? Yeah, so my wife is asking, why would that even matter? Right? And again I think I think that's because the the dominant paradigm is that we're going to go up to heaven, sit on a cloud, and, like, play a harp and sing forever. Like, what do you need wealth for in that context or rulership or anything else? And um, that's why I think um, a lot of the work, theological work, that's been done specifically on resurrection is actually really important. And the whole idea there is that the emphasis of the Bible is not on us going to heaven when we die. It's on the fact that we're going to be resurrected on the earth with glorified bodies. Okay? and I think that is actually the real emphasis of the Bible and and, and what I'm getting at there is I I think uh, the age to come will look much more like this life than we tend to think okay like I tend to say like I tend to think of it like Star Wars a little bit <laughs> you know um, obviously Star Wars I'm not trying to say Star Wars is heaven you're saying I'm Jabba that's messed up Dennis <laughs> wow Wow! You just lost rewards for that, Dennis. I know you were thinking it. It's gonna be revealed at the judgment seat. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I. just think. Um. I. I just think. I think we're gonna have jobs in the age to come. Okay. I think we'll have r- actual jobs. I think we're gonna be eating in in the age to come. I think. Um. You know. I think we'll probably be colonizing other planets in the age to come. C. S. Lewis think, talks about that. Yeah. I think it's likely. I think God. But if, if I had to guess, because, you know, one of the big storylines in the Bible is this idea of the divine council, right? The princes of heaven. And, um, you know, I've talked a little bit about this, but I think it's actually very integral to the biblical framework, all right? And that's because um, what we see in this age is that the the princes of heaven are ruling over the nations of the earth in this age. That's really what the past, you know, 6,000 years has been about. And in some ways, it's been a test for them and for us. But what we see is that the plan of God is to replace many of those princes. Okay. And so the idea, I think, is that some believers will be exalted to that level, right, of sitting on the divine council, if I had to guess. Um, And this begs the question would God then create other species that we would play a role in ruling over, like? The Archangels ruled over us in this age. I think there's a pretty good chance that stuff like that's going to happen if I had to guess okay um yeah we we, we were just talking that we were talking about that. How would colonizing you know or
1: ruling over planets look like and and, and it's I, th- I believe it's okay to speculate on that that perhaps God yeah. would create other creatures that we will rule over um and there's one thing for sure there will be Christians who will be ruled over. Right, just there will be Christians who rule. There'll be Christians who won't rule.
2: You know, I joke. Sorry, this is nothing intellectual. This just I joke that Dennis is so much more faithful than I am in this life that in the next life, I'm afraid that my jaw will be like his housekeeper or his cook (laughs)
3: again. (laughs) Except
0: this time, she'll have to listen to me, dude. (laughs) But hey, but you'll have the best equipment, Hannah.
2: I don't want those golden
1: gloves. You, you'll I be want... flying around. On that vacuum. On that vacuum. <laughs> on that vacuum. Cook in his shack in heaven. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's really important to, like, really kind of just ingrain in our minds, though, is that we will have jobs. You know, Randy Alcorn talks about in his other book, another plug-in, so more royalties for us, um, in heaven that we will have jobs. That heaven is going to be the new creation and it's not just Earth, it's the whole universe. You know what's fascinating? That um, some scientists are saying that if you have an infinite amount of time to travel the universe, you don't have enough time to do it. Even if you have an infinite amount of time. Because it's always expanding. It's always right? expanding. Yeah. I mean, it's just so vast and large too, there's just no way. So just think about all the adventures that we're going to have. right? But we're living this life, like we're storing all of our, our eggs in this basket not in heaven's basket. Eternity is forever. This life is what, 70, 80 years max? You could even die tomorrow, right? So so you can do things now that can deposit into your heavenly account. And the Apostle Paul even talks about that in Philippians, or I think it was in Philippians, where they were giving. And he says, I'm happy that you're giving because this is going to be a credit to your account. Not because I have food to eat and things like that, you know. The Lord will provide for my needs, but this is a credit to your account. Your giving will be written down, and Jesus is going to reward that. So generous giving is another way that we store riches in heaven. That is actually the primary way. So if you're living this life, look at your bank account, right? Where are you giving? If majority of your giving is here on earth, then your treasures are here. It's not in heaven. So if you want your treasures to be in heaven, and these are literal treasures, I mean, we only can speculate what those treasures are, but if you want your treasures in heaven, right, and have faith that it's going to be more glorious than what you're experiencing on earth, you're going to start now, okay, I'm going to give to ministries, I'm going to give to Christians in need, because God is writing all of that down. And that's that's a sure way that you're storing your riches where it won't rust, it can't be stolen.
2: Yeah. I wanted to actually ask Jenny if she had anything more to share about, you know, her this whole process she's been in. And, <laughs> because, like, I, I grew up pretty poor, right? So I don't really care about jewels and, you know, nice car and, or whatever, right? Like, it, it's not that those are bad things, but I just don't really have much value for it because I didn't grow up with it. So it's hard for me to transfer this. Oh, but I really want the riches in heaven. Is it just because it's eternal and it will not fade away or break down or what have you? You know, like what do you because I know when you're sharing earlier, genuine, when you said that for you, something that really convicted you is when you realize that everything belonged to God. Right. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah. I can understand more like that. I can relate to more than, Oh, but you really want this house in heaven. You know what I'm saying? So like, is there anything more like, or can you share more about like what, what that's been for you?
4: That's a lot. That's big. (laughs) Um, I think, I mean, I think the biggest, I I think, I think for me, and it's obviously going to look a little bit different because our, um, what we consider to be a, a possession, even like an obsession, is very different, and it differs. Um, but yeah, I I think. Well, I well first of all, just listening to everything. I think um, growing up in in the church. Cerritos, born and raised. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Don't say my address or don't say where I live. <laughs> <In Paul. laughs> he says that. I'm private. I'm a private person.
1: Cerritos, very Pennsylvania. Sorry. Oh. Well,
4: so I may or may not answer your question, but let me, I just want to start with this is that, um, in church, what I remember is, um, I wasn't really taught on heaven, right? Mm-hmm. I he, I think heaven was not, um, like at a, at a midweek Bible study, it wasn't on Sundays. It wasn't something that was taught. So it, it wasn't something that I was excited about. Therefore, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. because I didn't understand um, my, you know, my, my eternal home. Mm. I couldn't really get excited about it. Right. I just wanted to get saved. I just wanted to make it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, I think because of that, there was no interest in rewards or incentives. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, so, so that's a thought. And then I think, I I will say probably the first couple years of our marriage I was very lukewarm, um, and I think that's why I was thinking oh I got I I, I felt like the Lord saved me again, because a lot of um, a lot of the big idol of um, of money and possessions was really exposed, and I think I think we'll use a very um, American dream example of of a home right is. Um, Paul would always say in the earlier years of our marriage, of um, like if we pass by a house, I'm like, oh, that's a nice house, and Paul would say, I just, I can't wait for my eternal, my my house. Um, if I get a house in eternity, you know, and I'm just rolling my eyes, thinking, well, let's just save, let's just save for one here. Why are you? Why are we talking about why are you that? So lazy. Yeah, I would say you're just, you're just that's an excuse, right? You're just get being lazy. Grit. And you, you just don't want to work for one here, right? Um, but I, I feel like that, um, yeah, I feel like I had to really repent of that, of um, just trying to make my home here. Um, but Hannah, to your point, it's not that, for me, it's not, you know, j- the jewels, it's not jewelry, it's not all of that, right? But it's the comfort, and I put a lot of um, stock in comfort, right? I, um, and I think once that was getting disrupted and once that was getting um, challenged, that's when I realized, oh, wow, I actually just want to be a comfortable Christian here. You know, I don't, um, I don't want to. A husband who is challenging me and challenging that comfort actually. So I, I had to do another confession to Paul and friend my friends and say, you know, I actually, after I'm learning and after God is exposing all of this, I'm realizing that I actually just wanted a a guy who just went to church on Sundays, because a lot of what Paul was raising and, and just bringing to my attention, I'm thinking, I don't want that. I don't want to give stuff up. That's mine. You know, it belongs to me actually, not God's or to not, not to God. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, Hannah, but I think that, um, that the things that I valued, I didn't realize, um, I never had eternity in mind, right? I never really thought about rewards. I think um, Dennis and Paul are the really the only people in my life who talk about eternity and, and talk about <laughs> rewards because um, I never really learned that in, in church, right? Um, and then once I did, I thought, wow, these are great incentives, right? But at the sake of... At the sake of, like, what do I have to give up, right? What do I have to sacrifice? And I didn't want to sacrifice anything. Um, and that that was a big tell of where where my heart, where my faith was at. Um, yeah.
2: No, just a little tiny question. Um, did you grow up in, like, a fairly stable, comfortable type of life, or... Is that something you didn't have, and so you're afraid of not having it?
4: I grew up very comfortable. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, very comfortable. Korean Um, comfortable. Yeah, this is Korean comfortable. Um, So Mm. when I say comfortable, I mean my parents gave me everything. Mm. They, They were very selfless, right? They didn't go on vacations. They didn't buy luxurious cars. Mm-hmm. Um they didn't um you know do construction refinance their home and do construction on their home to make it bigger, right? Mm-hmm. They used that money and and poured it into um me and my brother, right? Into education, into extracurricular stuff, um into our cars. Um yeah, they gave us everything. So I was very comfortable. And then going to church with them, and I'll probably call out that generation of Christians, that Korean (laughs) Christians, um, is that, um, the example that I saw of going to church with them, going to their, their small groups, right. As a child, Mm -hmm. um, what I observed was, um, they're all competing for who has the nice bag, the nice Mm car, um, who's i remember my dad told me one time that um that that it was also known of who was the biggest tither you know um so so i think i grew up observing that and um Hmm. but my parents weren't it's not that they were um i think they were competitive in other ways right like oh my kid does this or they were they were um it, it looked a little bit different, not that they were spending money on themselves like that, but that's what I observed, right? Um, but yeah, so we didn't grow up rich, but we I grew up very comfortable. Mm. So then meeting Paul, right? And uh, <laughs> uh, meeting Paul, I became poor. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> So, and then meeting Paul, I think because I was never really discipled in that area, even for my parents, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They never discipled me in that way mm-hmm. of um to be more faithful. like what does it mean yeah, to yeah. um to really follow Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was never discipled in that way, and I think all I knew in my Christian upbringing is the Korean Church. Mm-hmm. and so um and and what is and my experience was, um, serve till you die, right? Serve till you get burnt out. And, um, and we do that well, right? We do it well. Um, but I was also not, never really taught on heaven, right? Why do you, why as a Christian, why do we even get, why should we even get excited about heaven? Yeah. Um, why look forward to rewards and those incentives, right? Um, so, so meeting Paul and, Even as we were dating in our marriage, Paul's like, let's give more or let's, you know, do do X, Y, Z more for the kingdom. Let's live for the kingdom. Like literally every other day, you know, and in my lukewarmness, I'm just like, get away from me, please. Like this is I don't want to do this. Um, And then. um, And then I think five years in now, God is really revealing and exposing all of that. And then. um, Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you want well, to add?
1: Well, you know, well, t- t- to be fair, I, you know, there were times that I was really reckless with it, and I wasn't gracious. Gracious, right? So, mm. in, 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 even in the midst of all that, I know Jenny is saying that she didn't feel like she wanted to give. She didn't, you know, but she didn't show that you know, in an overt way. She was just more quiet and kept that to herself.
4: Yeah, I think it was in yeah. my heart. That I felt that. And then I even thought, should I create a separate bank account from Paul? So that...
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So so I didn't know that either. That came out just right now. So it's great. Um, (laughs) No, but... Yeah, no, but we we would have arguments about it. It it just shows then that our understanding of money was vastly different. Yes. Right? And most divorces in this country is because of money. Right? So... And it's been great now that we are aligned by the grace of God, we're, we're mm. aligned now in what it means to live for eternity. We wake up every morning just excited to say, Lord, where do you want us to give?
4: Oh, not every morning. Not every morning. Okay.
1: <laughs> Jenny always wants to clarify that. <laughs> but, you know, for most mornings, most mornings, you know. Um, and, and one of the most beautiful things, actually, that if I could just brag about you, um, Jenny, a little bit, is that she was just like, hey, We can buy a house, we can, and Mm. and have two or three bedrooms or whatever, we have the ability to do it, or we can just choose to stay in this apartment and save because we can give more and invest Mm. in heaven. Mm. Buying a house might be a poor investment Mm. because now a lot of that money is going to the house here instead of investing on the rewards that we can get in heaven right so that that whole mind shift just it just it made our christian walk more exciting we're practicing faith more we're feel closer to the lord so people always think like hey it's kind of like you're you're only doing this for rewards you're not really doing it for jesus right i was going to mention and i'm like wait 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 living like this makes you closer to jesus you're practicing faith more you're relying on him more
0: right so because all the rewards have to come from him. <laughs> exactly. You know, so yeah. Like, we're, we're putting our faith that God is going to reward us according to his standards of worth and value, right? Um, well, I mean, and, and I'll just add this one thing, Then, Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. When people say, like, well, don't we cast
1: our crowns, you know, when we see Jesus? Yes. But where did those crowns come from? <laughs> it came from Jesus, and he put it on your head first. So that means you did get rewarded, and you did have that crown. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jesus is the ultimate reward, but there's nothing wrong with wanting the rewards that he wants to give you as well.
0: Right, right. And I'll simply say, if you look at, like, Hebrews 11, which is the, you know, the hall of faith, right? It talks about how all of these great men and women of God through history, they did this because of their hope for a better place, right? That they were aliens and and wanders in this land because they had their hopes set on another homeland. And specifically, it talks about Abraham like this, right? This is one of these really interesting jewels here in in Hebrews 11 because it talks about how Abraham was looking for a city whose foundations were established by God. It's a really fascinating glimpse that you see. But what it seems almost certainly to refer to is it's referring to New Jerusalem, that Abraham had some sort of encounter experience where he saw new Jerusalem and that he was living for that and so he was willing to be a wanderer he's willing to live in tents right and to be subject to the the hardships and the turmoil of wandering and following the Lord specifically because the city he wanted to live in was one that he had prophetically seen right and i think that you know when we're talking about rewards i think there's a reason why Many of them are left intentionally vague, yeah. right? Like, you know, Hannah alluded to something like this idea of a white stone with your name written on it, right? Like, what does that mean? It's not clear what that means, but there's glimpses of it. Those stones are spoken of with New Jerusalem, mm. right? That it's adorned in these types of jewels, and it's the streets are paved in gold. And there's some sense in which the works of the saints are memorialized eternally in New, Jer- in New Jerusalem, And it's in some way that seems to really matter, right? Um, So we're just given glimpses of it, but I really think that there's an aspect of this where the scripture gives us hints, and then it's up to us to seek after further revelation from the Lord. I do think that there's an aspect of that. And I think that there's longing in different areas. Like, there's so many things that we long for on this earth that we're not going to have the fullness of because the fullness of it is for the next age, right? Like, when we, you know, Hannah and I have been, you know, longing for, like, great spiritual community, right? And great family. And that's been, like, such a, a deep desire of our hearts, you know? And the truth is the greatest spiritual community that we can have here on earth is only a shadow of what's to come right? So many people are longing for, you know, the perfect marriage, right? But the scripture is actually very explicit about that one, that marriage is a shadow of what's to come, right? That all of these blessings, these things that we long for on the earth are just glimpses of the fullness that we're going to have in the age to come. And that's why it warns us from putting our hope in any of these things. It's not like, obviously we need has some of these things. I'm not saying that, you know, we can go without any of these blessings, but the scriptures are always warning us that the versions in this life are always imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. The house that we long for is is imperfect. It's going to rot, it's going to have property damage, it's going to you know all this stuff. And like um the this the families that we have in this life are going to be imperfect, the marriages are going to be imperfect, the churches are going to be imperfect, the teachings imperfect, everything's imperfect, but the reason why we long for it is because there is a perfect version that we're supposed to be longing for, yes. mm-hmm. right? And I think that is, you know, so much of the the tension of this Christian life. It's longing, like, I, I, I've I developed, a, you know, a, a real strong value for this idea of having a holy ambition, right? And that's because I, I've dealt so much of my life with, you know, uh, the, of surrender. Like, I know what I need to do is is crucify, my desires for the Lord and surrender all these things to Jesus, right? But the question is then what's supposed to drive you as a Christian, okay? Meaning if, you know, if your only ambition is to be, you know, obedient to the Lord, that doesn't propel you forward in a lot of ways, right? Because what am I looking forward to, right? And um, I've just become convinced that the idea of eternal rewards is something that the Lord is telling us. That is supposed to be one of the main driving forces in your life, right? This is supposed to be something that you have an incredible ambition for because it's the it's the perfect version of the counterfeit that we all struggle with, which is worldly ambition, right? So we all have this desire for worldly ambition to some degree, um, and we're supposed to crucify that, but it's supposed to be crucified so that it can be purified, right? And and we're supposed to carry a holy ambition. And I and now I feel like I see this all the time when I read the scriptures, right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning and shame, right? Jesus, even Jesus had a holy ambition of what was to come, right? And he was living for that holy ambition. And the apostles, you see it like G, like Peter and John are rejoicing after they're tortured. <laughs> right, because they understood that in being tortured, they qualified for a greater reward, right, like that was the 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 understanding that enabled them and, and, and drove them, and so um, on this note, I, I want to go a little bit deeper and transition a little bit on this, if it's okay, if you guys have something you want to talk about from the past, feel free, but um, I had um, an experience some years ago, maybe like five years ago or so, and I just asked the Lord, Lord, if I went to judgment, what grade would I receive? Because I just asked him, I said, Lord, I want to actually know what grade I would get, you know? And I felt like he spoke to me. Now, whenever we're talking about this, I'm not claiming that it was for sure the Lord, right? This is like, I think it was God, but I'm not sure, okay? Um, but I felt like the Lord told me that if I, if I died right then, I would get a C plus in life. That would get a C plus, right? And... um I remember when I heard that part of me was like. What did your Asian parents say to that? (laughs) (laughs) Also, say that part of me was like really happy because I I understood that the implication there was that I wasn't getting an F would be like a fail, like I wouldn't get into heaven, but like a D would be like no rewards, right? And I understood that getting a C meant that I'm solidly in the camp where I'm getting some rewards, right? Like, and I remember feeling like. I'm like really happy about that because I remember at that time I was being convicted because you know, it's not like I had greatly suffered for the gospel. I'd never been tortured. I'd never been thrown into jail. Right? Like I had never, like I'd never done any of the things. Like I knew I wasn't at the A level. You know what I mean? Like I knew there's no, I don't deserve an A for sure. Right. But I'm like, but do I deserve a B? And I was like really afraid. Maybe I'm in the D level. Like, Uh, Because I I was like, God, if I am at the D level, if I'm in the place where I'm getting no rewards, I really want to know because I want to be shocked out of it, right? I don't want to be – I don't want to think like, oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And then then judgment comes and it's like wicked and lazy servant, right? (laughs) Like – I don't like Mike Bickle says this all the time. Lord, shock me now, right? Don't let me be shocked at the day of judgment, right? right? Shock me now, yeah. and I think that's such a good prayer, right? I'm like, yeah, Lord, don't like if I'm getting a D. Lord, let me know now, you know. I want to know so I can change. I'll have the grace to change the way that I live, yeah. you know. Um, and I remember I prayed that, and I felt like the Lord said I, that I would get a C plus. And as I continued to pray into it and think into it, the the paradigm that I got, the sense that I got, was that You know, of all the people that that live on the earth, only 10% will be saved. Something like that, okay? Of all the people who've ever lived, only 10% will be saved. Of all the people who are saved, 90% of them will get a D, all right? And only 10% will get rewards of the saved, right? And of those who get get a D or higher, right, 90% 90% will get a D, and then of those 90%, so it's always, it's always 10% go on to the next level. So if we're talking about of all the people who have ever lived, I think only like .001% of all people who've ever lived will get an A. And if I had to guess, the A are the positions of real rulership in the age to come. Mm. Like serious positions of rulership. I think it's a very, very small number of people. Okay? Um, and then you have the B category. B category is legit. That means like you're a serious disciple, you get real rewards. I don't, you know, I'm my guess is that you're not a ruler, but you're well you're relatively wealthy. Something like that, right? And then you have the C level, and I'm just convinced, you know, if I had to guess, I probably am still at that C plus level, that's my own guess. Right? You get a shack with Hannah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get some rewards, I get a little servant. <laughs> <laughs> But, but the point is, it's because um, we live in such a lukewarm culture that it's hard for us to understand what it really takes to get the serious rewards, you know? But when I, when I look and when I read some of the testimonies of what people have gone through for the sake of the gospel, right? When I, you know, when I read the scriptures and I see what some of these guys went through and how faithful they were in the midst of all this trial... Like I just have to be honest, but God, I I don't deserve the same rewards as Moses. There's no way, for sure, <laughs> right? Like if Moses is an A, what the heck am I? You know, and and I I'm saying that not because I want I, I want people to feel condemned in their faith, right? But I think part of the truth here is that it's actually really hard to be greatly rewarded. It is ridiculously difficult, I think, right? And. I think just having humility in that sense I think it gives us the grace to potentially get to the next level something like that okay so this is the paradigm that I'm operating under right now right which is why you know I I tell I tell Hannah you know like my dream is to be martyred for the faith right that's one of my dreams I want to be martyred for the faith okay the problem is I don't know if I can handle it like for real like if I was put to torture like many Christians have been throughout history, I think there's a pretty good chance that I could, you know, I could apostatize and be like, no, I'm not willing to follow Jesus this far. You know, like, who knows when, until you're put in that kind of a a situation, you know what I mean? And um, all that I'm getting at is like, so that's my dream God, like, prepare me, prepare my character so that I can handle the harder challenges, because... I mean, you guys know, like, this season has been really challenging for us. And that's like, you know, yeah, my faith is still pretty sad compared to where it could be. <laughs> you know, like, it, like compared to where, you know, like, when I look at what David went through, what Joseph went through, like, they went through a completely different level of testing than anything that I've ever experienced. Right? And in humility, I have to say, I think the Lord would allow me to go through that level of testing if I had the character to be able to handle it. Right, and the reality is probably I don't have the character at this point, right? But my ambition is like God, but I want I want to get there, right? Like I have, you know, who knows, you know, maybe till I'm eighty, ninety, I've got maybe fifty more years to acquire the kind of character. For sure, can you got handle. good genes.
1: I think you're about ninety.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe all that kimchi, right? like,
1: bro. It's help you know, out. we don't
0: know, but like that's oh, kind of the way, okay. kind 80. of the way I think about it, right? Like. Kind of the way I think about it is like I've got fifty years, right, to grow into in to have the kind of faith that can handle that level of testing, that can demonstrate that level of faithfulness, you know? And to be clear, I'm not trying to say that, that this is the only way to measure this. I'm just trying to give a sense of the revelation that I feel like I've received on this you know, that's kind of been shaping my own life, right. To be able to handle, I remember in 2018, 2019, I was getting so much revelation of like the need to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to allow the Lord to, to bring testing. Right. And so I remember I was praying, you know, I was praying, Lord, give me grace to, to persevere in the testing, right. To be able to handle the difficulties that would come, you know, and then the Lord took us through a series of seasons of testing. And I told, I remember telling Hannah, you know, like there was a stage where I was like, I I literally can't take any more. Right. Like, (laughs) that's it, you know, God, I can't, like if you put one more thing on my plate, I might seriously crack, you know, like, Mm. and like it just, like it brought me to my limit in terms of like what I felt like my character could handle in this season, you know. Um, But compared to so many other people on the earth, they've gone through way worse stuff. They've, They've endured much greater testing than I have and I only say that because it's hard because we live in a context where we're so wealthy and we're so rich and the general faith is so low that i think it's really easy for us to have an inflated view of ourselves yeah you know yeah. something like that
1: no I, I agree
2: yeah i i think we our minds generally tend to go to like the extremes of torture and you know all that kind of stuff um and like i you know when we first were dating we talked about that cuz i was like yeah i i'm down for that <laughs> but then it changes once you have kids I've become so much more fearful, right? Like, I'm like, Lord, let it be one shot to the head. Like, I'm not trying to go through torture. <laughs> one shot.
4: Don't break a toe. Don't torture me. I had to have a toe
2: biopsy. <laughs> I, ooh, I cannot. Did, mm, don't
4: take out my toenails. <laughs> Maybe rip one fingernail. Just, I don't know, halfway.
1: That's a gangster prayer. <laughs> one shot to the head.
4: <laughs> oh, God, it's so much better, right? Like, No suffering.
2: And like what Dennis is sharing, like I was just thinking too, like we tend to think of those extremes, you know, and those are definitely what we can aspire to in some way. Right. But I think at the same time, God is so good in that he knows where we are in our levels of faith, you know, in the stages of our lives, like how we even handle hardship, how we handle heartbreak, how we handle the difficulties of life, you know, like how do we go about even that in such a way where we can earn reward you know even if it's not you know necessarily god-induced you know hardship maybe someone like a messed up person did something messed up to you and it just like jacked you up how do you go through hardship in a way that you can actually earn reward yeah
1: that's great that's great can i can i talk about that you know, the, the first feeling I got, Dennis, when you got that revelation from the Lord is like, okay, I'm quitting. There's no way I'm going to even get a C. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's that, you know, you're just like, what's the point? And I, I think there's a lot of people who might respond even like that, right? Um, uh, So I, I think that first response for a Christian when they hear how hard it is to gain rewards, and they have, they have to acknowledge that it is hard, right, is they need to ask for more of his grace. And grace doesn't mean... You can just be like lord i asked for your grace so i'm okay now i don't have to do anything right grace means the empowering power of god to enable you to do something like that right so first you have to be poor in spirit and ask the lord lord i'm actually not living even close to the standard that you want for me forgive me i'm a sinner no lord give me grace give me strength to live like that you know, so I, I want to encourage those who might be feeling something like that to, to pray and ask the Lord. And then I, I personally believe that God rewards faithfulness wherever you are, you know, faithfulness to service. Are you studying your word diligently every day? God will judge you for that. Study the word to show thyself approved. Right? Are you praying for people every day? The Apostle Paul said that I labor in prayer. So I think of it as in the morning I wake up, time to get to work. And a job of a Christian is to pray for people and really pray for them. Right? And are you generously giving? Like, what? Where's your bank account right now? Where are you giving? Is it for your vacation? Is it for all these things? Is it for your retirement? You'll know where your heart is based on where your money is. So take a look at your bank account and check to see, okay, wow, 99% of my wealth is here on earth and not in kingdom work. And repent from that and start to be, you know, bullish about heavenly rewards. Start investing in the kingdom, start giving. So those those are some of the things that Jenny and I are just doing right now. It's in our time, what we're doing, we're discipling people. We can choose to not serve on Sundays Or we can choose to sacrifice our time and our leisure to disciple people at our work or to serve at children's ministry because those little sinners need discipleship you know what I mean we're in children's ministry it's tough y'all pray for us all right but um, please whoever's listening pray for us it's tough (laughs) but yeah it's it's what you do with your time what you do with your resources you know what you do with your thoughts if somebody hurts you are you forgiving are you, you're not speaking ill of them, right? God writes all of that down and takes into account what you say about other Christians. Yeah. So those are some things.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Like what, what gets you great reward, right? I think that that is a really interesting and important thing. I think, um, I remember I read, I read the final quest, um, when I was in high school, that book had an incredible impact on me, um, when I was in high school and, um, I remember one of the things he talked about in that book. I think it was in that book, is that there were like some people that were really famous Christians, right? Um, that were in heaven, but many of them were at a lower position of reward um, because they they had sinned in many ways that people didn't didn't see, right? And they they looked like they were super faithful to people to other Christians, but they they were not greatly rewarded. And one of the interesting things that I remember he pointed out in that book was that, and, and to be clear, the final quest is not the Bible, right? So like he could be wrong, but I, I definitely do trust, he's one of he's one of the teachers that I trust the most, Rick Joyner um, yeah. in general. And I think the principles that are embedded in that book are biblical principles. And one thing he talks about is that many of the people that were at the highest levels of reward were women and children who had been faithful. And the idea was that they had just been really faithful in and not um rewarded for it on the earth something like that right and i think that this points out a really important and good dynamic because i think it can be easy for us like to look at people who are very gifted and be like to those people they're going to get rewarded and i'm not that gifted so what am i going to get and i think that's a i think it's a it's actually a big problem um b- just being honest because um like, for me, one of my areas of gifting is like music, right? It's it's like, you know, for me to go up and play at a worship event or something like that is not hard. It's pretty easy, you know what I mean? And people tend to be like, oh, wow, he's a good singer, and oh my gosh, and you get like, you know, people like you for it, and it opens doors. And I'm just convinced I'm not going to get any rewards for any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like leading worship for like a lot of people, that ain't going to get nothing. You know, like I think the times where I've led worship for the Lord, like in private, I think I'll be rewarded for those times. But that's one of the big things that Jesus talks about in terms of rewards in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 and 7, right? He's talking about doing your works of righteousness, not for the sake of people, but for the Lord. And the Lord who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Right. I think that is one of the huge principles. And I'm just gonna be honest, as a pastor, it's really dangerous for us because we coast a lot on our giftings and we tend to get followers, you know what I mean, that like affirm us and respect us a lot. And I think it's really easy for us to over inflate our own rewards, just being honest, right? I think it's easy for gifted people to have an overinflated view of themselves in the eyes of the Lord okay? Generally speaking, I don't think God is that impressed with giftings. I don't think gifts are like, gifts impress people, right? But secret faithfulness impresses God, right? I think that's one of the big rules of thumb, right? So, you don't know what it costs somebody to be faithful in a way that nobody appreciates or nobody sees, right? And I'm convinced those are actually incredibly important things for our rewards, right? Like, Hannah, you know, jokes that she'll, you know, she'll cook my meals in eternity. Um, But, you know, the truth is, like, I I do think a lot of those faithfulness just to serve people with cooking and cleaning, I do think a huge bulk of our rewards will be those things. they got no thanks on the earth, right? And just being real, throughout history, it's women (laughs) who have done a lot more of that, right? I think that's a big thing that um you know i think that's going to i think that's going to be really obvious at the judgment that those who served in secret and were unrewarded for it and and it was not very honored on the earth like those things are actually going to be proven to be of great eternal value something like that Amen,
1: preach. I, I, I heard... already got.
2: I already got my reward. Then, because when, <laughs> when I go to scrub the toilet, I go just call me the lowest. <laughs> I go and scrub the toilet. I already got my reward. <sighs> I did want to ask you another question. Yeah. Um, hello, hello, hello. Because hello. I know a lot of what we're talking about. We need to focus on eternity. I think that's a major. Less, Um, it's something that we all need more revelation in, right? I'm like, I'm asking for that too. But I also believe that we are allowed to, um, ask for things while we are on this earth as well. Right. So I wanted to ask you, Jenny, like, I know you've had, you're having a big paradigm shift around earthly possession, but what are some things that your heart is like wanting from God in this life? Whether it is, you know, more materialistic or whatever, I'm just, I hope that's not too random of a question, but like, what is your heart wanting?
4: Uh, um, <laughs> let me think about that.
2: Yeah, you can think about it, but I, I just
4: wanted to ask. Yeah. Well, I think the first thought is a, a simple one is to, to be in God's will. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not saying that's simple. I'm saying that, um, that it sounds basic, right? But that's something that Paul and I have been talking about is, um, and it's actually a prayer that we didn't really understand. But now, I don't know, it has so much more weight to it, right? Because we know the temptation when you're outside of his will right? When you're just doing things for yourself and when you're just living for yourself and you're not living for God. And then now we're praying, we're trying to pray like, God, we, we just want to be in your will, right? We want you to be pleased. We want you to, um, like with our bank account, like wherever our money is going, wherever our time, energy, and all of that is going, like we want you to be pleased with that. And, we don't want to pursue a venture that you're not happy with, right? Where you're not leading us to. Um, And so I think, I think a a short answer to that is we want to be in his will and we want to, um, it's hard, but, but Paul always reminds me um, this Paul, not the Bible Paul (laughs) um, always reminds me um, we need to seek first his kingdom. Like that is, I'm because I'm so you know type A and OCD and I need a formula and all of that and I'm like well how is that going to work I need the details and and then and then we always um, our alignment is let's seek versus kingdom let's just seek that Um, and then um, and and yeah just praying to be in His will right I I think that's what it is yeah.
1: So one of the radical changes in Jenny, um, maybe last year, this would not have been, you know, our our both of our prayers. It would have been radically different. You know, we wanted a baby. We wanted a house. We want to, you know, pursue this business still venture. Still those things. Still those things. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's not what's driving us now. Right? Yeah. So um, so some of, some of the things that we're asking, I mean, there's nothing wrong with asking for, like, hey, Lord, we would, we would like a bigger place. Yeah. Can I add something?
4: Yeah. Is another thing is actually now that I'm, now that I'm thinking about it is God, I want to be content. Like I want to be content in you. Not in nothing else. Right. Because everything else is um, um, what's that word? It's not foreign, but a duplicate. What's the bad word of that? Um, a shadow no, not a shadow. Everything is um anyway. Um it's it's not satisfying, right? Like it's um Yeah, so I think it's that. It's it's God, I wanna be content. Content yeah. in you. Because if I am, then I'm not going to obsess over the things that don't matter. I'm not gonna waste my time on that, you know? Um I think that's another thing, right, is is um if I if I don't obsess and idol um idolize um a baby, right? Um I can actually use that time and energy um and, and, and shift that over to the things of, of God, right? And what's pleasing to him. Um that's all. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So good. But yeah, we, we some of the prayers that we have right now would be, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking God for things. Mm-hmm. But your driving factor must be his kingdom, his will. Mm-hmm. So now like, Lord, um place is a little small, we got two cats, it smells like cat poo, you know, it's uh <laughs> you know what I mean. And um we would like just a bigger place. And so we're seeking his will on that. And if it's not a direction where the Lord wants us in, we're okay with that. We're absolutely content. I mean, this place is great. You know, we're comfortable. We're good. And so, um, what well, like he- our, needs are met. our needs are met. Right. Yeah. Anything
4: else is a want. Yes. At this point. Yes. Yes. And so it's like God meet our just meet our, needs. meet our needs. Meet our
1: needs. And the rewards helped us. The eternal rewards helped us to be content. Because we're understanding that we're just, you know, pilgrims. We're just aliens, you know, just passing through this world, and that the age to come—that's our permanent home. So we're not really like settling. We have a very loose grip now, and so
4: I think what justifies a lot of those like missed opportunities or missed dreams or or, or dreams that we feel like maybe aren't fulfilled here on Earth, yeah. um, or desires that aren't fulfilled um, that are good. Good desires are not evil. Um, I remember we talked about. Paul was telling me that um even that god can um redeem an eternity right even um yeah e- even the desires that we couldn't get here <laughs> we can get in eternity and that could be a reward you know
0: yeah,
3: yeah.
1: amen amen
0: absolutely absolutely Yeah. there's, there's a couple of things that i think about just from what you guys shared like um i remember when i was out of college and um I was really thinking about, like, I felt like I had, you know, like a gift with worship. And I was like, what do I do with this? Like, should I try and make albums, right? Should I try and make recordings? Like, should I try and, like, you know, how do I steward this well, you know? And um, and then I remember um, I, I got it. I, I applied for this position that was going to pay me a good amount of money. And it was going to be for a pretty large church, right, to do worship for them. And, um, and I was like, okay. And then I prayed about it, and I felt like the Lord said, no, don't take that one. Um, instead, it, I took a job at her dad's church, which was like a, a little group of like 20 people. <laughs> I did worship for them, you know, for a lot less money, you know. And I was like, well, that's okay. I have to be obedient to the Lord. This is what the Lord told me, you know. And then after that season ended, I remember um, he told me to go be a youth pastor at a Korean church. And I was like. When am I going to get to the music part? You know, like, mm. and I remember, um, I, I, um, I went through a season where I was like preaching so loud that I like really jacked up my voice. I really jacked my voice. I, I, I was afraid I did permanent damage to my vocal cords. Right for like a year, I couldn't sing right, and um, and I, I was like really sad because I was like, God, did I like, <sighs> did I totally mess this up? You know, like, like, you gave me a gift here. Like, I'm not even a good youth pastor. That's how I felt at the time. You know, like, I'm not, not even good at this, right? And I know I'm good. I'm better at music. And, you know, did I just totally mess this up? And I remember I was worshiping, you know, and I felt like I had this, uh, you know, this encounter with the Lord. And in this encounter, I was leading worship for for millions of people. But I knew it wasn't in this life. Wow. Right. And I felt like the Lord said to Dennis, don't worry. I know about your gift. Wow. Right. And I'll I'll utilize your gift. Right. And that um that kind of was really important to me because it, my concern, like, I really didn't care about trying to be famous. I was just I was just concerned that I wasn't stewarding the gift that God had given me well. Wow. You know? And I was worried, I was like, God, how do I steward this gift well? And the the point was that he was like you being obedient to me right is stewarding your gift well right and don't worry i know the dreams that you have in this area and i i will fulfill them right but don't worry about them and i i got the sense it's not for this age right and that was that was actually a really important revelation for me to just let let that go to not worry about having to produce albums and all that stuff like I'm just gonna focus on worshiping the Lord and being faithful in that er, in that area of my gifting and I'm gonna just trust the Lord with whatever you know the the fruit of the ministry is supposed to be something like that you wow. know um that that was really important you know um for me and th- the second thing I was thinking of um, when you guys were talking is it reminded me of something that David's you know how about with David when David sinned against the Lord when he took Bathsheba right Nathan the prophet comes to him and he says um you know, I gave you I gave you Saul's house, I gave you his wives, I gave you all of this, I gave you his riches and he says, and I would have given you much more if you had asked me, if that's what you wanted. Yeah. Right? Only why did you take this thing that was forbidden? Yeah. And the reason why that's really fascinating to me is because David was rich. You know what I mean? Like I think a lot of like a lot of times our paradigm is like, Hey, if I'm gonna be faithful, I'm I'm gonna be like poor I'm gonna be like I'm just gonna like live but there's you really got this sense of like David had such great favor with the Lord God would have given him almost any earthly blessing that he wanted because he he i i I get the sense that he trusted David's heart you know he really trusted him like he felt like he could trust him with these riches and these you know the all these blessings and it wouldn't corrupt his devotion to him right that's the sense that I get from it you know um, but that line always just stands out to me, like, I would have given you much more, right, if that's what you wanted, you know? And um, I do feel like there is this dynamic that if we will put the kingdom first, I really think the Lord does want to answer the prayers that we desire. Yeah, yeah, I- I'm
1: totally against asceticism where any kind of enjoyment or desire for these things are forbidden. I'm against that, totally. Totally there's nothing wrong with desiring it um where we're at is that we're we're content so content and we want to seek his will that a lot of those things that we used to desire has gone away mm-hmm. and when those desires come up we just we bring it to the prayer to the lord and we're just like hey lord like um we would li- you know we'd we'd like a bigger place <laughs> there's nothing wrong with yeah. praying that yeah yep. for sure. yeah
2: for sure for sure yeah, I guess it's it's been kind of amazing how, compared to when we first got married, <laughs> like even now, like how randomly, uh, Vera, she was our she was our spiritual mom in Northern California. I remember one time she was like, "Hmm, I feel like Dennis is gonna get a new car."
0: I was like, "What?"
2: <laughs> she just randomly said stuff, right? I was like, "Alright," you know, like, and then literally like. Within a couple of weeks, I think, he got hit by an older lady who made a left turn into like an intersection or something. And she totaled his car. But then he got a new car. Like that's happened more than once. You know, it's just funny, like thinking about how God has met. And it's never been like some crazy car. Like he's he's driving a is it twelve years old Prius right now? He's driving a little bright blue twelve year old Prius. <laughs> and he he it's was an like, awesome car. yeah. He, drives, he goes, it's a race car because <laughs> it just throws you around with this like a little, you know. Like he always pats and goes, faithful car, <laughs> you know. Like it's, I love what you guys said about just meeting our needs, yeah. you know, because it's true. That thing has taken us to California, has taken us to Yellowstone. Like, like it's, it has been pretty awesome, you know. Um, but I this verse I had. Sorry, I jumping a little, but. This verse I had had open in my windows before. Like it has just really spoken to my heart for some reason. And hearing you guys talking about where you guys are right now. And Jenny, who I cannot say where she lives, but that used to be like her little, mm-hmm, this is where I'm from. I'm never going to leave. That's what she would say. <laughs> <laughs> like this verse, I feel like you guys are living it out now. It's from Matthew 19:29, And we, you mentioned it earlier, Paul, I think it says, And everyone who has given up houses houses, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. I feel like this is you guys. You're living this verse out. Right? Like even hearing how in the midst of wanting a child, you know, Mm those desires that are inside of you, the anxieties that might come with it, right? Like choosing to serve other people's children (laughs) (laughs) who I'm sure like have there's, uh, it can be chaos sometimes, right? (laughs) I don't know what to do. (laughs) That, even that choice, Mm -hmm. like I feel like that desire, it came from the Lord and you responded in faith in obedience you know like you are earning his favor you are earning rewards with him because you're saying yes you know yes from a place of where I feel like I don't have yet Mm -hmm. but this is your these are your children and I'm going to give myself to them you know Mm -hmm. even the house you know like we're like thinking man we've been paying rent for so long like we're not that's not wise investment we should be paying down a house you know but here you guys saying like we need to invest in the kingdom, right? Like you, you guys are literally living this mm-hmm. to the letter, you know, like I, I feel like this is God, God manifesting himself in your lives, you know, like God is answering your prayers, Paul. Like he hears the cry of your heart to lead your family towards the Lord. Right. And Jenny, like you may think that, oh, I'm lukewarm. It's almost like like always a disclaimer you have to put in front of everything. Like I do that too. Right. Because I'm so aware of my own weaknesses, but like God is showing you the gift of himself and how he has aligned you together. This is the beauty of what he has called you together to do. Right. Mm together, to do it together, right? Like, Paul, it's not just that all of a sudden there was a miracle. Yes, there's an aspect of that. But I feel like Jenny's heart was always on that track, right? She just needed the revelation of God, right, in her heart right like a little bit more right but from what i've seen of jenny she's one of the most generous people i know one of the most safe people i've ever known right even when she called me out back of tkc one time she's like hey come <laughs> out she paged me at like 10 at night i'm like why are you talking me? Can can back to church? Talk about that <laughs> and I text her about, are you trying to jump me what can we meet in the funny. front but i went back there and she did that to surprise me with love with she got me a gift basket she had people write a card like this is who jenny is and always was and i can't wait to see what you guys are doing in 10 years i know you guys are gonna be doing so much for the kingdom right like you're already on your way you know and like i wanted to affirm you again paul like your heart is that of a truly godly man and husband you want your house to serve the lord right and jenny like i know how it feels to have a husband who provokes you right like i got one right
4: here (laughs) I'm like, let me just live in this city comfortably. Please. Yeah, that's that's let what me husbands settle do. He provoke you. Right? <laughs> they always got me filled with mission all the time. You know?
2: I'm just you trying to try, just
4: try to go to Costco. Just try to work. Just try yes. to settle. Also, do you know all the little things I have to get done today? You want me to do what? You know?
2: Oh. But that's like the tension that God has placed us in in marriage, right? Yeah. And like... I feel like I fail so much right to be the submissive. <laughs> I don't even know what that honestly is supposed to be like. Honestly, I think I need a real, you know, a biblical understanding of what that is. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, we got so much talking about, For but sure. but that's my prayer is God. Would you align Dennis's and my heart? That would be an alignment Right, like, there's still that human desire. Like, what can you give me? What can you do for me? Right, like, why can't you be the husband that just like knows what I want to eat and has it ready? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but everything that Dennis can't cook, cook using, though, right? <laughs> yeah, it's only mac and cheese.
0: I'm an amazing cook in the years to come. I swear. <laughs> sure.
1: You'll cook for us. You'll sing over us. Man, it's gonna be a dinner and a show.
2: You're going to cook for me when I'm the cook. (laughs) But yeah, like I just, everything that this scripture continues to reveal to us, you know, it says that God has set eternity in our hearts. Like I can get in my head, I can get in my flesh and get so in myself like, Hannah, you suck. You know, like I struggle with that, you know, but it's like when I'm in the presence of God is my heart is crying out for him. It's yearning for him. It's saying, you're what I want. I need you, God, and I can't help it. My heart just overflows and says, I love you, I love you, I love you, God. And that's genuinely what's inside of there. Despite all this weakness, despite all the fear, despite the day to day things that we can get ourselves lost in, what needs to get done, you know, like what our fears and anxieties like, God has set eternity in our hearts, you know, like, and I'm just so grateful every time my heart reconnects to him in that You know, it's it's beautiful Like he's beautiful and that's how it's meant to be Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah
0: Yeah, it it does seem like the Lord has brought like a really divine alignment um, In this season of your guys lives, which is awesome And it it seems like it it is opening um, the door for the next season for you guys um, To really move at a higher level of faith Right and I know, um, I know that's been the desire for you. Um, you know, Paul, I, I just want to commend you, you know, for um, uh, really living with faith and, you know, because um, I know, I know the context, you know, you're you're in a context where you're, you're working full time and you're trying to be faithful to your family and to the Lord and, um, and you're trying to be generous. And um, I just want to say like, you do an amazing job of living out that faith, man. And, you know, I just want to commend you. I think, you know, you're doing a great job and, you know, Jenny, you know, my wife loves you so much, you know, because what, what you embody is like, you're, you're genuine in who you are. You know, you're like, (laughs) you don't sugarcoat stuff a lot of times. It's just like, what, why are we doing, why would we do that? You know, um, (laughs) but there there's there really is something you know that's that's really refreshing about that you really do have a really compassionate and caring heart and i see the lord really developing that in this next season specifically giving you a heart um to care yes maybe orphans yes something like that you know um there there's something like that like a mother's heart in you yes. um i feel like this next season is really going to be a development of that where there's a there's a really um, a seed of calling inside of you that I feel like is really going to um, develop quickly in this next season, where the Lord calls you. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know what specifically that will look like, but it does feel like the breakthrough that you've had recently has brought an alignment for the Lord to be able to move you guys, you know, and how He's going to move you in this next season. And um, I would just simply say, you know, be surrendered to the Lord God, whatever wherever He wants to go and whatever timing, um, and He'll and He'll lead you guys. But yeah, we're so happy for you guys. Like it's so great to see your guys' faith, and yeah, we love you guys a lot. Well,
1: let us repay you back right now. You know, I just nope, we just. I want to say, say one more thing about Jenny. Oh
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just really small. Like Jenny, I feel that you are such. I've already said, but you are safe. You're such a safe person and like (laughs) don't laugh (laughs) i really i have felt it and i feel like you're going to be such a safeguard and a safe place for so many people especially younger ones i feel like all your gifting of knowing what to do and how to do it getting things in order you see the needs and you you have a plan to execute when needs to be done i feel like god is going to be able to use all these ways that you already naturally are right and they're actually giftings you know like It won't be like, I have to become a totally different person. It's not that. Like, he's going to utilize you as you are already. And he's continuing to grow you and move you further along in the plan that he has for you. And I want to just declare that you are the help to Paul that he needs, right? You will be a sound voice of wisdom for him and, again, of safety for him. Because when he hears your input, and he hears your thoughts and opinions, it'll help him filter out. Oh, that's like the extra stuff. That's not as, let me hear the wisdom in what she is saying. And I feel like that's going to be very valuable for him in the future. And it already has been, but God is already improving your communication with one another so that you can hear what is important and what needs to be said rather than getting lost in the style of communication or, you know
0: sorry can I, can I keep going? we're in a little bit of a prophetic flow right now okay <laughs> um Jenny there there is a real there's a real leadership anointing on you a very strong leadership anointing i I feel like um I feel like the past season has been the potential is locked if, if you know if the enemy can get you to focus that leadership on serving yourself then he can crush you know the potential that you have. But I feel like as the Lord in the season has really been unlocking, like, no, I'm I'm gonna go after a vision for the kingdom. I what I see is I feel like that the leadership inside you has the potential to really explode in this next season. Um, but not, it's not even just a seasonal anointing. I feel like it's a long term leadership anointing that's on your life. Um, and I feel like um, there there there's a real good partnership between you guys genuinely. There's a real good partnership between you guys. Um, Father, I just feel—can I just pray on this? Lord, I just pray for grace for Jenny and Paul in this season, Lord God. Lord, we just say thank you for um, the breakthrough of this past season. Thank you for it, Lord God. We just honor you. Lord, we ask, Lord God, even as um, you know this has been a dream in Paul's heart, that he would bear much fruit, that he would be generous with um, whatever you give him in this life, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would combine their graces in the season at a whole at a whole new level and that they would be able to invest um, as true spiritual investors for the kingdom, Lord God. Um, and I, and I do feel like there's going to be there's you know Paul has such an anointing for generosity and um, Jenny, there's an anointing for wise investment. And I just feel like there's going to be a grace where you guys are going to be able to be aligned in investing wisely for the kingdom and then supporting it in a way that um, you're both able to really utilize the callings and the gifts that are within you. I know that's been a longing for you guys. Like, I know you've just tried to work faithfully and, you know. I, I don't know if it's going to be a, a moving of a job or if you're going to be a diff- in a different line of work. I think it's possible. Um, but all I can simply say is that there's going to be a kingdom, um, kingdom projects that you both feel very invested in at a heart level. Right? You guys both, I, I see like this incredible investment. I do feel like it's going to have something to do with poor children. Yeah. Okay? But I don't know, you know, I don't know beyond that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it could just be part of my heart that's mingling in with all this too, but I do feel there's something about children for you guys, like really choosing to love on them. And like God is going to just show you something so deep about that um, that even just earthly parents struggle to get a glimpse of, you know, like because where you sow your treasure, you know, that's where your heart is. And I'm not saying that in some weird way, like give your money here. Like I don't know but I feel like there's something about children that you guys are going to be able to greatly enrich their lives and bless them and pray their lives onto a path that follows God. Right. And in some ways, like I don't mean this in any kind of patronizing way. Like it's more glorious than if you had, you know, like had, I don't know, three of your own kids. Like there's something really not to be corny but eternal about like the reward, the depth, like the even the the seeing more of the beauty and the revelation of who God is and his nature and your heart opening and becoming more like him, yeah. hearing him more, I feel like there's something about that as you choose to give yourselves in, in that place.
3: Yeah.
1: So We're getting wrecked.
2: Oh, wait, something (laughs) else. Um, I think you're supposed to come to Colorado. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's all me.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. No, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting, right? Like this past, I think, I think the, the last, the, yeah, the past few months, right? Yeah. Like it's been really interesting. We just recently started, um, I told Paul, I was like, we need to serve. Like we're lazy. We're lazy. We need to serve. Like we need to beat our body and suffer. (laughs) We need to serve. Um, I I think that's when all of that was getting revealed to me. Right. I'm like, God, you are not Lord in my life. Um, Like I really need to um, put in work. Right. And some people like we joke because, we would say like, Oh, some people would say that's legalism. But then, but then we were like, no, 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 no. That's like, God, we're devoted to you. Like we want, like, this is a devotion, you know, we want to do more because, um, because of that devotion. Right. But anyway, um, so then recently I told Paul, um, like the only ministry that him and I even separately have never served in is children's ministry. But all of my friends, they serve in children's, so I know stories, and there's no appeal. I'm like I don't want to do that, you know, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But then, somehow, I told Paul, I think we're supposed to, let's try children's ministry. I think, I think, I think it was just an accumulation of like the, um, the, the agenda against kids, you know, in this culture and and this generation and. Um, and even our desire to have our own children. And it was just like blend of all of that. And then, um, we recently started serving in children's and, um, and it's so, um, like there's beautiful moments of course, because you get to teach these kids, but then there's also the mundane moments of, oh gosh, we got to wake up early. We got to park far. Why don't they have valet at church? You know, it's hot. Um, in this city, you know, so, so I think, um, I think we are really being stretched and challenged in, in that, like, there's so many elements, like I can, you know, break that down, but, but that was just recent. So it's just funny, right? That you're, that there's a, a theme of children. And then, um, um, I think my, I think I can say it's a selfish desire is, um, I'm like God, I want to give more so that we can have certain blessings, you know, and I don't even know if that's biblical. I don't know. Maybe maybe. But so I ask I I I second guess everything, right? right? Because I'm like, God, I just want to be in your will and I'm afraid to be out of it. And then if I'm out of it, or or is a selfish desire being out of it, you know, so that you just kind of negotiate with yourself, you negotiate with God. Um so, so, I would always ask Paul, is that selfish to even desire that, but it's not a bad thing so So I will wrestle with that, right because and and I will wrestle with something as simple as that, I think because um the devil like the idol of money and possessions were had such a stronghold, and it's it, it's such a deceiving sin and um so now i'm like god i want to be careful and when i say careful is god i want to be in your will like i want to be so careful to be in it and and yeah even like hannah as you were talking about like we're renting and i would always um i think for the last four years of our marriage once a month i would say you know sigh really loud and be like paul make more money you know, I would just, I would just always do that. Right. And, um, and then having this new perspective on eternity, on rewards, on, um, everything belongs to God. Um, and as we're reading that Randy Alcorn book, it was talking about how, um, like even, you know, a bigger house or a nicer car, um, um, all of these things, like it's not, it's not inherently bad. But what happens then is you start to put more time and energy into those things, right? Into that bigger house, you're going to spend time cleaning it. You're going to spend time making it, you know, nice, um, polishing the car, right? L- things that could be spent on kingdom stuff, right? So we were we were talking through that, um, and we're like, yeah, these things aren't bad, you know, but. Um, but now your mind I think when you think about eternity, then you think about okay all of those investments, right? right buying this car or that car or buying this house or that house right you start to weigh those um you start to be shrewd yeah. or you start to learn to be shrewd um because then then the, then the perspect- then you just go back to that perspective of God everything belongs to you um so i think I think we're learning that. Um, and it's been really interesting as we talk to other people about it. Yeah. Because then we sound weird, you know, like, Oh, why aren't What do you mean a child? Child is a good thing, you know, or a house is a good thing. We're like, yeah, no, no, it is. Um, but, but now it's, it's in the perspective of investments because you're now thinking of eternal, eternal investments or investments that you're making here that impact eternity and then getting you know and then obviously the rewards come with that um so it's a lot i don't know i'll stop there it's a lot
1: and and i just want to say i want to thank you guys for being that example to us um the things that you guys went through the last few years moving um across the country to a different state being planted in a ministry not even on, on staff Enduring uh, some slander against you guys all these things and yet you guys Showed great compassion You bridled your tongue. You didn't say anything like you and you you prayed for those who hurt you. I mean, that's just Incredible um, Example for us and so man, I, I aspire to be like you guys you know what you're doing raising your family and you guys are joyful and you know guys may not have much when it comes to possessions and money i mean both of us all don't but you know i i i i just see you guys ruling in the age to come because of the sacrifices you've made here on earth you know so so thank you thank you that i can talk to somebody about this you know this topic of of rewards has been taught virtually by most uh christians it's in in virtually all scholars agree with this but for some reason and where we're at here in california or, you know, or in america in general it's, they don't want to talk about it. There's, there's there's that Laodicean see spirit right this lukewarmness that's there so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that i have you guys to talk about this that we're not weird you know when we bring this up thank you for encouraging us and praying for us and uh, we're just really really happy to have you as, as close brothers and sisters in christ
0: yeah man well thank you guys appreciate you guys coming on i know i took Almost three hours of your time here. So,
1: <laughs> was it three hours? Yeah. Dang, I didn't even feel like it.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, we definitely love you guys, and yeah. we're looking forward to seeing you in a in a little bit. A week yeah. and a half, we'll be out there. So, God bless you guys. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you.
2: I just love you guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, if he, if what your name, mm-hmm, the, the heart. Yeah. If your name is even mentioned, I just start cracking up and smiling. <laughs> you guys. Bring who's talking so about us yeah. joy. <laughs> 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 hey send him a text to come outside of the church at night For sure. <laughs> but yeah but I see such an increase even in the joy that you guys have like together like mm. you already brought me so much joy yeah. Paul, I think you're hilarious, <laughs> <laughs> and Jenny is too. And just who she is, right? Just who she is cracks me up. But yeah. I see an increase of joy and yeah. peace yeah. in the both of you. Thank you. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah it's all good. See you guys.
1: It's all good. Thanks, guys. Love, you guys. Love you guys. And see you next week. Is it next week? Next week. Jen, right. you
2: got to figure week. out where we're going. Get that all set. You know, because <laughs> Dennis <laughs> and I will okay. not plan anything.
1: Let's do it. <laughs> Live by faith, <laughs> no planning. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Have a good Bye. one.